Hey, this is Matt Furness, and you're listening to Pixel Tunes Radio. Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I'm Mike. And I'm Ed. And this is our Matt Furness episode. We are chatting with Matt Furness, so to speak, <laughs> if you will. I yes. am super excited. Listeners to the show will uh, absolutely know who Matt Furness is. He's one of our favorite composers. Um, he's been composing since the early days on the Atari ST, the Amiga. Many U.S. listeners will be familiar with his Sega Genesis, Sega Mega Drive tunes. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Mike. Hi, Ed. And uh, thanks for that very, very kind introduction and your kind words there. <laughs> Well, we've, we've talked about you numerous times on the show. We've played tons of your tracks, and I was actually a little worried myself when we were putting this episode together, because I was like, I think we've played almost every every track of yours uh, up to date. Samples here and there yeah, for yeah. every single game, yeah. So, <laughs> But it was nice. So I, I was able to kind of dig deep and, uh, and find a couple more obscure titles that I didn't even know existed that have some, some wonderful tunes, so yeah. we're going to share that today. So, I mean, Matt, why don't you give us a little, a little history of yourself and how you got into video game composition? Well, I, I, uh, I started doing this professionally in 1989 when I, I got a job at a, a, a small... Uh, development company in England called Chrysalis Software, and they were doing, you know, tail end of the 8-bit era, and then 16-bit games like Atari ST and Amiga, and and then uh, eventually we started to do uh, some console games, that kind of thing. And uh, I was fortunate to to be introduced to a, a programmer there who was also a musician uh, himself called uh, Sean Hollingworth, who hmm. who was uh, able to write some some really great uh, sound drivers, which is the code that you know it runs the music in the games. Um, so I was able to work closely with Sean, and we made some really really good sound drivers. And I was able to compose the music for a lot of games. And as I got my name out there, then uh, more developers in the UK they you know they needed music too for their uh, Sega and Nintendo games. So they would they would come to me, and I would you know write the music. And I did that for uh, about four or five years there at, at uh, Chrysalis. And then I I moved, got a job at Sony. Uh, working on some of the first PlayStation games. That was 19, hmm. 1994. I worked there for a couple of years. And then while I was there, uh, I got a call from Disney in, in the USA. And they called me and said they, they had a, um, a position open at the, the studio in Burbank. And if I wanted to, to move over, they could take care of everything. So moved to Disney and worked there for a little while. And then worked at Sony again, down in San Diego, 989 Studios, doing a lot of sports games and that kind of thing. And then around, I think about year 2000, I, I really didn't sort of want to do it anymore. So I stopped doing it and just, just became a programmer full time since then and did a lot of uh, web engineering and working on you know things like that, web applications, those kind of things. Um, hmm. And then a few years ago, I got a, a call from a company called Gaikai, which was started by um, a guy I'd worked with in the past, David Perry, who of course, oh, yeah, right. he, he was a he was a programmer a long time ago for for Virgin. Obviously, he started Shiny Entertainment, did Earthworm mm-hmm. Jim, yep. and um, he was starting a, um, a a video game streaming company and needed you know they were hiring engineers, so I got a job job with uh, with David again, 
working at Gaikai, and then a few years ago, Sony bought that company, so I'm back at Sony again. So that's where I am now, <laughs> uh, working working at Sony for the third time, uh, working on PlayStation 4 and things like that. So it's all good fun. Yeah. That's so cool. that that um that company that David Perry founded that became what PlayStation Now is that what it, what the service was called? That's right. Yeah, it's PlayStation Now service, which um, lets you stream uh, PlayStation games to any device, TV, smart TVs. Um, obviously, PlayStations, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's really funny. I never thought the guy who was behind Earthworm Jim would ever be behind a streaming service. Yeah. Now, now my imagination is running because all I'm thinking about now is David Perry on the phone with you and being like, "Hey, you know, uh, do you want to do a joint venture with me and Tommy Tallarico, like Earthworm Jim Four? And just, <laughs> my mind just exploded. So yeah. <laughs> Normally on the show we have something called Pixel Chat, which is where we have our fans kind of send us questions, but we wanted to redub it especially for you so we have dubbed it matt chat Mm -hmm. which is fitting enough so we had our listeners send in a bunch of questions and we kind of sifted through them and picked the best ones so uh, we're going to start off from the top so emily who is also known as keyglyph asks how has being a renowned video game composer affected your career your sense of self or the way people relate to you. Um, well, I think a lot, a lot of people where I where I work currently, they don't they they're not really aware that I did do video game music. Um, so I have this sort of double life where I'm sort of engineer Matt, but in my past I was you know musician Matt. Um, <laughs> but it's, but it's nice. I mean that you know people recording all these old video game you know music and they they put them up on YouTube and you know I'm I'm kind of a big old video game nerd anyway. So I I listen to a lot of other people's music as well. And occasionally you know I'll I'll see someone all of uploaded maybe one of my songs on youtube and i'll put a little comment say you know thanks for sharing that and so and a lot of times this could be music i've not even heard for maybe 20 years because you know, <laughs> these, these songs they're buried in the games and i don't you know i don't have any way to really play these games now so um it's really nice when when uh, you know people uh, they appreciate the music and they record it and they they upload it and and then i get to listen to it as well so it's a really good uh, little I think community of uh, people that are into these old, you know, old video games, eight sixteen-bit music, and uh, I like to try and, and stay involved in that community a little bit. Yeah. So you you heard it here first, Pixel Tuners. Somebody send Matt a Sega Genesis and all of his games. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice little care package. Yeah. So I mean, have you ever ever had an instance where? Um, you know, you've been talking to a coworker who wasn't really familiar with you by name, but just like, you know, a game that you made like Boogerman or something would, would, would come up in casual conversation and you're like, oh yeah, I totally wrote the music for that. Yeah, like, yeah. Did you ever blow their mind like that? So, some, sometimes, I don't know if it blows their mind, but yeah, there'll be, there'll be people here at, uh, that I work with at Gaikan, they, you know, maybe they played like Mortal Kombat for the Sega Genesis mm-hmm. or something. Right. I'll say, oh, I did the... I did the sound for you know for that a long time ago, and uh, I guess they weren't aware that I was really working that yeah because it's such a long time ago now. Right, uh, right. So uh, you know I'm get, I'm kind of getting up there in years, so I'm, I'm one of the older people probably at Gaikai anyway. So the you know maybe the <laughs> maybe the people I you know work with the the guys I work with they you know they they probably didn't even have a Sega Genesis when it came out. Maybe they were even yeah. young for that. So it's kind of youngins. Like, the youngins exactly. But, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of nice. Yeah, so, so I'll mention. You know, I did. You know, the uh, that I got to do. You know, some of the sound for some of these games, and um, it's kind of nice. You know, they they appreciate that. So it's good. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So I, we'll we'll do one more Matt chat question from a fan, and then we'll kind of pepper the other ones in as as the show goes. Um, this one is from a fan called uh, Mega Drive Profile, and he asks, "Hey Matt, when you worked on the Mega Drive, did you program your own sounds, or did someone else take care of that for you?" I I did program all my own sounds. Like I said, we we wrote the 
the sound driver from the ground up. So all the driver code, all the sounds, all the patches, I would, I would create all the sounds and compose all the music. So yeah, so that's I think that's why on my you know my music you'll hear. I think on a lot of sound drivers you can sort of hear the sounds that are in the driver. If you hear a lot of the games that were made in the United States, they would use the Jams audio sound system, and mm-hmm. you, can, you can distinctly hear those kind of patches. And then a lot of the the work that came out of Japan, they have a, a certain flavor to the sound. And I, and right. I think that the driver that I use that has its own sort of flavor too and you can you can sort of hear that in the instrumentation yeah I think most American video game fans always kind of cringe whenever they hear the word gems and sound driver <laughs> in the same sentence uh-huh. um, <laughs> some of the more um, you know less palatable soundtracks definitely came out using that driver but I, I think um, it, it, it's always been all about whose hands it's in exactly yeah exactly all right so let us get into our first track of the day but we did want to mention really Real quick, before we jump into that, stay tuned to the end of the episode for a special, I I don't want to say world premiere because this this song does exist if you do enough hunting. But as far as non-Kickstarter backers, Matt is returning to uh, video game composition with his latest game that he's been working on, Fear Effects Sedna, where he did the main theme. Uh, so we will get more into that later on in the show at the end. So stay tuned because it's uh, technically a world premiere, or at least on Pixel Tunes. <laughs> it's a, it's a track that's not it's not very widely available on the web, and it's a fantastic one. So yes. so stay tuned to the end for that. Right now, let's get into some of Matt's earlier stuff. This is a track that he wrote in 1990 for the Atari ST, and this one is the title theme from Escape from the Planet of the robot monsters. Let's take a listen and we'll be right back.
Welcome back. That was Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters on the Atari ST in uh, 1990 was, was released. This is the title theme from our guest, Mr. Matt Furness. Matt, what do you what do you remember about writing this particular track? I do. I, well, I remember playing the the arcade machine when I you know this is back in the Chrysalis days, and we had the the arcade game uh, in the office because we also did the. The conversion of the game and all the graphics and everything, and um, I remember that the, the music in the arcade game was just very uh, sort of mellow. I don't know, it was very uh, a lot of Atari games of that that era had this didn't really have a tune to the music as, as in a traditional way. It was just more atmospheric sort of sweeps and FM sounds, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to to really recreate this on on an Atari ST. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just the, the sound hardware in the Atari ST is so basic compared to what. Atari had in their, their arcade video games, so um, I just decided, you know, I'll just rewrite the music, and that's that was pretty common. I think a lot of games back 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 in the day that they wouldn't necessarily always use the the same sound as the arcade machine. Sometimes the the composer would just, you know, their discretion just maybe thought, well, this this piece of music's not going to work on a home system or for whatever reason, memory or technical limitations. So in, in this in this case, I just decided I'll just I'll just write my own piece of music for the the title screens and the demo mode so yeah yeah i think uh, guys like rob hubbard and tim fallon were, were famous for that just coming up with their own soundtracks for their c64 or, or zx spectrum soundtrack so i mean it's it's nice that even though the game was a port a lot of the more talented composers such as yourself got to really kind of um let loose and do kind of whatever they want did, did you have any constraints as far as like what the developers wanted you to come up with for this particular track or was it did you just kind of hand something in and they just rolled with it i just i just handed it in yeah that's that's mostly how it went in those days it was just you know it was up to me i and they just said just you know make the music this is how much memory you've got make it work in, in this much memory and if if it works if it fits in the in the computer in the memory then we'll put it in the game that was it yeah i yeah i think we were we were mike and i were playing this game yesterday we were kind of trying <laughs> it out and, uh, you know, I don't even know if you can hear the entire track because uh, there's that demo loop and it just kind of, the demo loop rolls and there's that little cinematic sequence and then I think it cuts out before the demo loop starts again. So it's nice being able to have these kind of, you know, players on, on PCs nowadays that you can hear these entire files without having to be worried about these songs cutting out. You know, I, I do like how you kind of emulated that FM bass sweep with that that phasing technique that comes in at the beginning. And it starts off kind of slow and dramatic and then gets tempo just kind of like picks up out of nowhere and gets really, really fun sounding. What would you think about it, Mike? I gotta say, my the most memorable thing that I had about this game was when we were actually sitting and playing through the game. So to give our listeners a brief synopsis, it's, it's basically this type of game where you are saving... <laughs> <laughs> professor, what was it? Sarah Bellum? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, professor Sarah Bellum from, uh, I, I can't even remember. It was like Monsters or Planet X or Planet something, X, like, that. So, yeah, something yeah. like that. It was, it was it, basically the game is a throwback to the old 50s sci fi, right. you know, like Forbidden Worlds kind of or yeah. Forbidden, Forbidden Planet, like that type of stuff. So. Um, you're going through as this kind of space hero type guy and you're shooting and you have the ability to, to duck and shoot to avoid bullets. And while you're playing, while like, while you're shooting with your phaser or your space gun or whatever, the the sound from the space gun is is 
kind of like in sync with the music, and it almost sounds like record scratches in a way. It's <laughs> super good. Was that like, was that a, was that a, a, a design choice, Matt? Did do you remember anything about that? No, I don't remember that. But yeah, it sounds. Like, I don't know why it would be in sync with the music. Probably just some way of how they implemented the sound effects in the game, how they programmed it. I don't know, like a, a side a side effect. Yeah. Just the yeah the, the timing of the chip or something. It must have been that, yeah. Because almost every single thing that we did while playing the game, and we weren't intentionally doing it in sync, but like when you were shooting, when you're moving, you know, like when you're jumping, like everything had like a rhythm to it. It almost felt like a rhythm game in a weird way. Yeah, very, very interesting. So Matt, I want to ask you a question that I've wondered for a long, long time. You've composed on a whole bunch of different formats and, and all those formats use different chips and, and styles of music. There's like, you know, the sample-based Amiga stuff, PSG and Wavetable on the Atari ST and stuff like in the Sega Master System and FM on the Sega Genesis, Sega Mega Drive. Which was your favorite medium to compose in? Uh, I like to say, you know, the Sega Mega Drive, Sega Genesis is absolutely my my favorite out of everything. Yeah, that's what uh, I figured. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I love that system, and I love the I love the FM synthesis sounds, and plus you got you know a little bit of space there for some samples, for some you know some percussion and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, you know it's, it sounds it, it sounds really unlike anything else. You know there was the the Amiga, which I, I really like the Amiga as well. But then when you know Super Nintendo came along, that always felt kind of like same as Amiga music, which is very sample based, yeah. except mm -hmm. more sound channels but less sort of sound memory. So a diff little right. different sound, but it always sounded a little sort of muted, a little muffly and a little flat to me. But, you know, I love the FM sound chip in the in the Sega Genesis. I love the big sweeping sounds you can make. And it, it just sounds really like 80s, you know, like a Yamaha DX7 or something like that. All those synthesizers mm -hmm. use that, you know, bass. You know, they're all based on that same hardware. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's my favorite system, yeah. That's cool. It's just much more control over, over FM modulation rather than trying to manipulate tons of samples at once. Yeah. So yeah. I can totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, speaking of samples, let's um, go on to our next track. All right. Well, our next track is from Shadow Warriors, which is also called Ninja Gaiden in America or the U.S. and Japan. The track is just intro music, and it is on the Amiga, actually. 1990 was the year of release. And this is, again, by our guest, Matt Furness.
welcome back. That was Shadow Warriors, also known as Ninja Gaiden, and that came out on the Amiga in 1990, and that was intro music by, again, Mr. Matt Furness. So, Matt, I, I gotta ask, were you familiar with the fact that this was a Tecmo game that you guys were kind of, like, uh, bringing over to the Amiga? Um, like, how, how did that come about as far as you getting the, the, the port to be able to, to comp compose? Yeah, that was a case that we we were also doing the you know the game itself, and we had the the arcade board uh, of the you know the arcade machine actually in the office, uh, so we could play that as much as we wanted and, and use it to to record the sound out. And and in this case, it was you know the game itself, the arcade game didn't have any music during the attract mode, uh, which a lot of arcade games didn't. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think in this case, the the, the game has this fairly um, interesting. Um, sort of exciting what's the intro with a lot of graphics moving around and so these big big sort of animations going on and i think in that case it actually used almost an entire disc so back then the games would just come on a floppy disc and the game came on two discs as i remember one had the sort of game on one just had this intro um hmm. so there was actually a lot of memory and disk space available on this one for, for a piece of music which is why in, in this case it has a, a fairly long uh, piece of music with a lot of samples and uh, so i had a lot of leeway there to to use that space to, to make a new piece of you know title track to go along with this animation sequence yeah right well, well yeah because the game was a port of the arcade version which was totally different than the nes version the arcade version was more of a beat-em-up and the nes version was more like a story-driven action type of action side-scrolling action, side -scrolling game, action yeah. game yeah, yeah. so I, I know that you've done You've often done like ports of games uh, with music that were composed by other composers. Uh, in this case, for the Tecmo, the NES game, which the NES soundtrack and the arcade soundtrack are two totally different yeah, soundtracks. Yeah, the arcade version was composed by Ryuichi Nita, right. the Tecmo guy. Uh, so in video game development, like how does the how does there a conscious decision to mirror what they've created and kind of arrange it either arrange it in your own style or you know where is the decision for either taking what they've done, which you've done before, and kind of making it your own versus making like a completely new com composition that you did in this case with. Uh, with Shadow Warrior. Yeah, well, with the, like, so with this one, it, there was no music on the track mode in the arcade anyway, so and we had the space, so I think it was fair to, to make a new piece of music for, for this track mode. And then when you play the game, then what I actually did is I actually converted the, the music from the arcade machine um, and, and tried to, to make that as close as I, as I could within, within the restraints. So if you play the game, then you could, yeah, I think you have to actually choose between whether you want music or sound effects. I think that was maybe like a memory thing there where they only had enough space to have one thing loaded or the other on the Amiga. But uh, if you play it with the music, then you'll hear the, the music is, is quite similar to the arcade machine, I think. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And I like kind of how the, the sound effects are kind of built in because this plays... Actually, the, the port is a pretty good port of the arcade game. It looks almost identical, especially yeah. that introductory cinematic. Very visually impressive. And uh, yeah, you kind of built the sound effects from that cinematic into the music, which was neat. Did, did you find when you were composing on the Amiga that the, the four channels that were available to you were particularly constraining, or did, did you think that they were a little easier to, to work around rather than like the three channels on the Atari ST? Um, I didn't. Yeah, I don't think it's too constraining when you've got samples because you can always have you can make the samples themselves have sound like more sound channels if you want to do like a big chord or you know some like lots of notes at once and you can um, sort of fold those into one sample and then do it that way. So although you do only have four real channels, you can you can make it sound a lot bigger than it is. The only thing that I thought was really constraining on the Amiga was the two two channels are hard panned left and the other two are sort of hard panned right. 
Yeah, um, yeah. So especially when you listen on headphones, it, it can sound it can sound a little weird. But that that was really, really only constraint. And then of course, if you've got sound effects going on, that's going to eat one of those sound channels as well. So then you've got three three sound channels. But it's not it's not too bad. Other than it's just you know the samples themselves, they use a lot of memory. So that was always the the main issue I think with Amiga. It didn't have a lot a, a huge amount of system memory. Um, you know, once you put all the graphics and the game and everything in there, there's often not not a lot to work with uh, for the for the music and the sound effects. Yeah, I can imagine juggling all that stuff can be a little bit yeah. nail-biting hit there and again. <laughs> um, so as far as Sean Hollingworth is concerned, now you said he wrote the, the drivers for uh, many of the systems that you worked on, but I, I noticed for the Amiga you mainly used ProTracker, is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I used ProTracker because that, that was a standard that you know, a lot of people used that back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Sean didn't have much to do with your Atari comp or your, uh, your Amiga compositions, correct? No, no, we'd, I, don't think, uh, I don't think he did, no. Yep, just wondering about that. Um. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I wanted to point out about the game, which I thought was really funny, they had to rename it Shadow Warriors, which they actually did the same thing for the NES version uh, in Europe. And that's mostly because, from what I understand, the word ninja is... They, they don't like using the word ninja in, in the UK, or at least the, for a time. They didn't want to market it to kids, from what I understand. Yeah, um, that's, I think that's right. Yeah, and I remember that the... Uh, the was it teenage uh, turtles? Yeah, they were, the they teenage mutant ninja they, turtles. Yeah they, yeah, they changed those to hero turtles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But what I found was really funny is you're playing this game, and so it starts off. The title comes up, the title screen with uh, Ryu Hayabusa, and uh, it says Shadow Warrior. And when you start to getting into the game, it says like Ninja in New York or something like right, that. Right, they're immediately just yeah. throwing ninja yeah. at you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just thought it was like ridiculous. I guess it's like, just what's on store shelves. You know, yeah. I don't want kids going in and seeing Makes ninja sense. or whatever. <laughs> um, but, but Mike, my question to you is, what about the music made you want to pick this track for the show? I really love those uh, note bends that you that you hear that it's just, it's got that Amiga sound, that dun, 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 like the, those really like crisp uh high level note bends that that really that and the drum breakdown that kind of comes oh that in. drum breakdown right near the end is and, really and cool and those, I, those drums, drum samples are amazing yeah and i love the the sound effects how they kind of come in with the lightning like uh, the intro cutscene starts and you got that lightning that comes in it's got that's like a whip crack sound yeah, to yeah. It. it's just so crisp and clean sounding it's it's just awesome and what what struck me about this too in in terms of the music is that even though the intro from the amiga version is almost identical to the arcade version, it takes on this whole new kind of atmosphere with this rock and music behind yeah. it versus the very kind of solemn, you know, almost just, just it's literally silence and sound effects. Mm-hmm. It gets, you get the storm and like the running ninjas and stuff in the arcade version. Right. And it feels much more... I guess... Uh, Vibrant. It, well, it feels a lot more serious, mm-hmm. I guess, in the arcade version. But then the Amiga version, the music just makes it sound like this rockin', like, action-packed anime. Right. And it works just as well, I think, as the arcade version does, but in a in a completely different way. Right. So, so nicely done on that, Matt. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to Matt's first pick. So this is Boogerman's ending track for the Sega Genesis, and yeah, let's just hit it. Let's just hit it. Thank you. 
All right, that was the ending theme from Boogerman. And uh, that one came out <laughs> in 1994 for the Sega Genesis composed by Matthew Furness. And uh, boy, I, I, this is the meat and potatoes of the show. The, the Sega Genesis stuff, I think, is uh, is the stuff that I grew up with, the stuff I'm most familiar with as far as your work, Matt. And, and I think the stuff that really just shines. I love the drums and the bass together in this song. Just sounds so funky and so cool. And you get those kind of stereo-separated horns that just, they sound very, very victorious. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the rhythm. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was you always have this really nice, crisp-sounding uh, snare sample and in your songs and and for me it's like i love fm music to death but i love it even more when there are some good quality percussion samples behind it so did you you know consciously say was that like kind of one of your 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 things that you always wanted to have a good nice crispy set of percussion samples in your tracks yeah i think so i don't because i don't remember a lot of sega genesis games they did have samples but usually the samples were crunchy and a little muffly and yeah you know they just had they just didn't sound that great uh, so a lot of games would either do that or they'd just go with the synthetic type drums, which I think sound really, really good. Like if you listen to like a lot of, I don't know, TechnoSoft games or something, they usually go with the, the synthetic drums, which sound, I think they sound amazing when they're done right. Right. But for me, it was like, oh, well, I've got this you know, part of the sound driver that can play these very uh, fast sample rates, high quality samples. So yeah, you know, I, I just thought, yeah, let's go put some nice crisp uh, sounding percussion in there, some nice snares and things like that. So that, that was a conscious decision. You're right. That actually brings us to a really good a segue into another Matt Chat question. So one of our fans, Cam Worma, asks, what is your composition process like? Do you have a routine such as coming up with a baseline first or a melody, etc., and kind of building upon it? Or do you let it take shape organically, just follow the creative process wherever it leads? And like, would the process vary significantly depending on the system or generation of console? Yeah, I think uh, I would generally start by just, just finding out, the you know, finding sounds that I want to use so in the case of samples maybe I'd be going through some sample libraries and I'd be you know manipulating those sounds and just adjusting them making them sound in ways that I thought were different or interesting hmm. and then on you know on the Sega Genesis it would just be literally just using the, the instrument editor that I had and just just trying different values and ch- changing the numbers and the parameters and, and until I came up with a you know sound that I thought was a little different or interesting and then usually building a, a rhythm uh, around that like a bass line add some chords and then generally I put the melodies on top afterwards mm-hmm. so that, would, that would be my my process generally yeah okay now as far as boogerman goes which i, I gotta laugh because we were playing this yesterday this game and uh, i've actually never played it personally I, I was more of a super nintendo guy growing up so i know that this also came out on the super nes now did you you also compose the music on the super nes i did not I did. It's my composition, but I actually didn't do the the part of the. Okay, the so music, the arrangement. So I think the arrangement was done. Yeah, that was done by someone uh, probably over at Interplay or one of the developer. Yeah, I think it was Steve Collett that did the. Uh, okay. That did the port for his. Oh, okay, okay. This game is just. Where do I start? I mean, you're playing as this character who. It, <laughs> He's uh, an eccentric millionaire uh, named Snotty Ragsdale, and he he goes to this lab to investigate this project. Uh, and he, so he like dresses up as like a janitor, and you know he's kind of sweeping. And then all of a sudden he sneezes, and he breaks this machine and opens up this portal. And so then he rushes in. It's kind of like a Batman or a Superman thing, where he rushes into the bathroom and he he changes into his quote unquote alter ego, which is Boogerman. 
the whole game you're going around just throwing snot, literally snot. It's a gross at, game. It's, it's, it's a, a pretty, very gross game. It, it's Yeah, it's a very gross game, but I, I think it was going, and we talked about this yesterday when we were playing it, it was kind of going for that Earthworm Jim meets like Ren and Stimpy kind of vibe. Yeah, for sure. As far as that goes, from what I understand, they were trying to kind of reinvigorate the franchise, the guys who own it, uh, Mike Strahey and Chris Tremel. Um, did they get in contact with you at all as far as maybe potentially doing or working on a follow-up? Because I know that, you know, you're working on Fear Effect Sedna. Did that ever happen? No, I never even heard anything about a, a, a sequel or any follow-up to this one. Yeah, no, I just, I think it was just in, I think it was just in, as I remember, it was in a interplay, it, it called me and uh, I'm not sure why they picked me, but they wanted me to do the music for Boogerman, so uh, <laughs> oh. I was happy happy to oblige. And uh, didn't I really didn't know a lot about the, the game when I did it, but mm-hmm. I did know that, in, you know, I'd, see, I'd had some of the interplay games, especially on the Super Nintendo, and I remember they had really great soundtracks. I know one of them was like Rock and Roll Racing, was that, I think that was an interplay. Yeah, that was a Tim yeah, Fallon game. Yeah, Tim yeah, Fallen, that, right? They had that amazing Tim Fallon music, and I, so I was like, I've really got to do something, you know, I've really got to make some good music this game because <laughs> I, really, I really don't want to, uh, you know, let, let them down on this one. And I didn't know a lot about the game, but I did have some good ideas for the music. And, and thankfully, you know, they just let me sort of roll with it and do do what I wanted. And I don't remember them coming back with any um, edits or changes they wanted. They were just they were just super happy with what I did. So it, it all just went in the game, uh, you know, as I'd composed it. And that's pretty much what I remember about this one. Cool. A lot of the music has kind of like a 70s, like very funky kind of vibe. Was that was that kind of indicative of the music you were listening to at the time? Or, you know, what, what were your influences for this particular soundtrack? Yeah, it could have been that. Yeah, I was, just, I was always listening to a lot of sort of funky 70s music back then. And then, especially this one, I, w- I wanted to really key off that theme of Boogerman. So you'll always hear that phrasing that the, the sort of like, Boogerman, Boogerman, <laughs> all the way through. Like a lot of the, the, the actual songs have that, that theme that kind of goes on. So... Mm-hmm. So it takes that right from the the introduction, you know, the title theme music starts with that, and then I, I sort of brought it back in pretty heavy on that uh, this ending theme that we just played, just so that just to sort of tie it off nicely. Yeah, they were you could tell they were really trying to hit that that kind of moniker home with Boogerman. Like every time that you get like a certain power, very similar to Earthworm Jim, he would be like Booger. Booger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you record those sound samples for the game, or was that someone else? Uh, someone else did it. I th- I believe they just sort of sent me all their samples, and I just I just ran them through our you know conversion utility just to get them in the in the correct format in the that sample rate, and then uh, send them back. They could put them in the game. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that the creators of Boogerman didn't approach you as far as the Kickstarter campaign because I mean they weren't successful. They uh, unfortunately, but I know that they were going to be doing an HD version. So I would—that's basically what it was. It was like a—it's going to be a remake of like the a original? remake of the original. So I would imagine that they would have reached out to you, but that's kind of interesting that they didn't, and they that's a shame because uh, they could have gotten. You know, I, I think I did actually donate to that Kickstarter, but they would have possibly gotten more guys like, you know, me and Ed and some of our fans if they were like, oh, by the way, Matt's coming back to, re, re you know, redo the whole soundtrack. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our next track. Ed, what do you got Yeah, for let's us? go in a totally different direction yeah. um, from 70s funk to uh, cyber industrial, I guess you could call it. This is the title theme from Cytron, which is a game that came out for the Amiga in 1992, put on your steel helmets and start doing the robot dance, because this one's pretty funky.
And we're back. That was Cytron, released on the Amiga back in 1992. That was the title theme. That brought back memories of, like, the old 90s industrial stuff I used to listen to, uh, KMFDM, like, early ministry, that kind of stuff. Um, any of those bands ring a bell? Was that any of the inspiration for this kind of song, Matt? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I used to, I did used to listen to a lot of ministry. And I think another band I was listening to at the time was um, Bomb the Bass, who were kind of like a hip-hop oh, yeah. sample-based sort of hip-hop uh, act from the, the sort of late 80s, early 90s. So I, I really wanted to do something along those lines for, for Cytron, yeah. It was really cool. I can, I, I can definitely tell you were like sifting through a whole bunch of different samples and just kind of putting mishmashy samples. So like most industrial bands kind of do that. They just take a lot of sounds that don't belong together and kind of mm-hmm. make them all work somehow. And I think you did a really good job with that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a, that's the sound I was going for. Yeah, I really love the stereo panning in the beginning, like more towards the beginning. Yeah, but the guitars going back. Yeah, and forth. Oh, yeah, that was so great. <laughs> yeah, that's just awesome. I also really like right before the loop. There's like this almost like static sound that kind of comes in. It's almost sounds like somebody's changing a channel. It's really cool. Mm, yeah, that's kind of neat. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, it's almost a whoosh, kind of like um like the Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters. They both yeah. come in with this kind of like sweep that just gets louder and louder and then suddenly that that beat kicks in right and then this one just like uh the shadow warriors track that i, I noticed they both kind of have right before the end kind of like a drum breakdown almost like they were kind of like on the same template almost with you know the, they follow the same kind of pattern right. which is really cool too yeah with a lot of really cool samples in there as far as percussion goes so very very cool stuff uh, there wasn't really any music at all that i could tell in the actual gameplay, it right. seemed like it was just this tank rolling around and shooting at these things on a map. <laughs> yeah, the game is very Gauntlet-esque. Basically, it's like a futuristic Gauntlet-style type of game, and you're going through as this robot called a Cytron, and you're rescuing the scientists, these research guys that are kind of all over the place. The tank is very fast-moving. I don't want to say slippery because it's not slippery, but it's like the response for the controls is very direct. You move in a specific location and you just go. You go in that that direction. You can aim pretty much wherever you want. It's, you know, diagonal, up, down, left, right, that whole thing. The, the I think that the biggest difficulty that I had while playing the game was trying to tell the difference between the researchers and the bad guys because everything is colored like a blue, like bluish purple kind of with little hints of like uh, yellow or like orangey yellow. So like a, the backgrounds are pretty much like brown, steel colored. Mm. So everything kind of like clashes against each other. So you can definitely see stuff when you're shooting at it, but it rushes you very quick. So it's kind of difficult to, to move around. Definitely a very challenging game, but um, you know, we were pretty engaged in the gameplay itself. So Yeah, it was pretty neat. Now, pretty cool. Matt, this was produced by Lunatic Software, and they also did Wiz and Liz, which you wrote the soundtrack for on the... Uh, on the Genesis, did you have kind of a working relationship with them? Well, I did have a, I did have a good, pretty good working relationship with uh, Martin Chudley, who did the Wiz and Liz uh, game, um, and he obviously he started the, I think it was Bizarre Creations, who went on to do a lot of really cool racing games and mm-hmm. different things. And then again, with this, with, you know, with the Cytron game, because I knew it was, uh, it was going to be published by Psygnosis, so they were very well known for having really exceptional graphics and sound mm-hmm. in their games. Um, you know, one of their uh, in-house musicians, Tim Wright, did a lot of amazing sound tracks for uh, Cygnosis and I was always a big fan so again I wanted to make something that was you know up up to par with 
you know, what they'd expect uh, out of a Psygnosis game, which is to have something with really great, you know, music. So uh, I, that's what I, I really attempted to do on this one. And then just make it, you know, for its for its time, this was the kind of music people were listening to. It was, uh, you know, hip, a lot of uh, early hip-hop and, like you said, ministry and that kind of stuff. So Yeah, it definite, definitely worked because, I mean, this game also had, like, almost pseudo- full motion sequences at the beginning too and then there were pictures of like metal structures rising out of the desert with flames coming out of the top it looked like what the most current Mad Max movie looked like you know but this was back in the 90s so it was just it was really cool kind of post-apocalyptic inspired imagery so the music really fit well with that that theme you mentioned that uh, Psygnosis uh, really strive to make their games uh, very, very visually impressive, and I was definitely impressed by that full motion video kind of cutscene in the beginning with the the tank, you know, shooting at the the other items that are, you know, these bad guys that are kind of floating all over the place. Like that was very visually impressive. It it kind of struck, like stood out to me. I was like, wow, okay, okay, so this <laughs> this is going to be really cool. Yeah, a lot of the Amiga stuff can be either very simple looking, um, but then a lot of the later games were really mind-blowingly yeah. awesome looking. And, and great sounding, too, of course. Yeah. All right, so let's get into our next track. What do we got coming up next, Mike? Our next track, we're going to jump way ahead. Uh, this is Nanotech Warrior for the PlayStation 1. Uh, this track came out in 1997. And this, as far as the song title, we have it labeled as CD Track 2. Does that ring a bell, Matt? Well, I guess it is Track 2. I don't know what, (laughs) I don't think they even had names, these tracks. It was just, yeah, I had to make, I think I made like four or five tracks for this this game, and that was Mm -hmm. it. I didn't give them names or anything. Yeah, it's just Red Book Audio that's on the disc. It takes place during the gameplay, so we'll just call it Gameplay 1 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, let's give it a listen. We'll be right back.
welcome back from WooFest 2K17, <laughs> also known as Nanotech Warrior. That was a PlayStation 1 game, came out in 1997. This track in particular was actually composed by Matt Furness. This is a different track than what we originally spoke on. This is actually CD Track 6. We actually found out that Matt didn't compose uh, CD Track 2. We found out that there were two other composers on this one, uh, Steve Comio and Doug Benson. Now, uh, I was thinking, Doug Benson, isn't that a comedian? And you, you mentioned that as well, <laughs> well, Matt. Did you know Doug Benson before his comedic date? <laughs> I did not know about, uh, about Doug Benson, no. <laughs> so it must be a different Doug Benson. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, and then Steve Comio worked on uh, sound effects as well for this, right? Yeah, exactly. So okay. he must have been part of the sound team. Uh, so, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to work on this game and maybe what, what some of your sound direction was? Yeah, I just, I remember it was actually through one of the, the audio managers at Disney, and I guess he'd got a side project going with uh, the publisher or with maybe the developer, I think it was T uh, Tetragon. Tetragon, yeah. And, um, yeah, so they, they came to me said, look, we need, uh, I think they need another five or six songs to fill out this game, and if I, if I could do the music, and they wanted it to sound like Mortal Kombat, the uh, movie music, so they gave <laughs> me the movie soundtrack and said, just make it sound sound like this <laughs> uh, make it sound like kind of like techno but like mo model combat techno so that that was really what I, I was told to do and that's that's what I did that's really funny I, I mean definitely like if, if even if I didn't know that when I first heard the song I would have definitely said dude this is totally Mortal Kombat um, <laughs> yeah. your, your comment during the break was the best what did you say about an owl oh it sounds like an owl is having an aneurysm yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Lots of those woo shots. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. I loved the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. So for the movie, so this was this was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just hard hitting, like techno. But I really like those like more like ambient synth sweeps that kind of come in. Those like more like haunting, almost like David Wise like Donkey Kong Country kind of yeah, style yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of slip in later on in the track. Uh, I thought those were really good. Yeah, yeah. I wanted I wanted to do something a little. Yeah, put put a little bit of ambience in there too. If you've seen, the, I don't know if you've seen the game. It's kind of like a tunnel tunnel yes. shooter, and it's a little it's a little bit like Tempest. Yeah. Around a few a few a few years before this came out, there was an Atari Jaguar game which was Tempest 2000, and I really like the soundtrack for that. Yeah. So I wanted to do something a little sort of in that vein as well. Yeah, it felt very cool. It's like uh, it's like Tempest, but. Like half the time you're on the outside of a pipe, kind of spinning around it, and then you right. kind of move to the inside, and it feels a little bit more like Tempest, where you're moving around the inside of the circle. So the techno soundtrack really helps, you know, keep the action going and feeling very, very fast. It was, yeah. it was really cool. I mean, it is a shoot 'em up, and so there's not really any kind of story. I would like to read the one set sentence story, though, that came from the manual. Hit me with it. All right. Welcome to the 23rd century. The world has been at peace for the last 100 years. Nanotechnology has become a reality and disease and hunger have been virtually wiped out by tiny nanorobots created to serve every purpose known to man. Increasingly sophisticated, the nanorobots have recently gained sentience and are systematically attempting to wipe out their creators, humankind. So, so that is what you are doing. You're wiping out nanobots. So your ship is actually really tiny. Yeah, and you're it's super tiny. tiny. Okay, right. that's why it's, it's called So essentially, nanotech. these these nanorobots like he you know made it so that there's no disease, no famine, no hunger, right. blah blah blah. It's basically just a reason to make a game about right. flying along pipes and shooting things. But then if the nanorobots are gone, then all that stuff's going to come back. So you know everybody will get sick again. Yeah. So you're basically fighting for illness. Yeah. Yes. 
Good job. Good job. All right. <laughs> so, Matt, um, this is a question I've been kind of sitting on for a while, especially with this kind of a song. It's very fun sounding. I was wondering, do you do any of your soundtracks kind of stick out to you as being like one of the most fun to record or a particular type of music that you have the most fun composing in? I mean, I always liked something where it was just a very traditional sort of video game soundtrack. I don't know, something like Wiz and, you know, Wiz and Liz or something like that that I did. I really enjoyed that because it was like, this is obviously a video game and we want to make something, we want it to sound like a traditional video game. Whereas, you know, I think especially in the early 90s, especially when the CD games were coming out, it was like, I, they didn't want things to sound or look like video games anymore. They were like, we've got to make this look and sound like a movie. But I was always like, I like video games. <laughs> and I always appreciated that aesthetic of a, of a traditional video game. And I like things that sound like video games. So whenever I got a chance to do that, that was always the, the when I was having my most, I think the most fun uh, composing the music, yeah. Cool, are, are there any soundtracks that you feel like you're the most proud of? Well, like uh, I like you know like the Burgerman soundtrack, I think is really good. Mm -hmm. uh, Pugsy uh, for Sega Genesis is, I think, I think that one works really good. Wiz and Liz is good. So yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those games, uh, probably mostly on the Sega Genesis. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we've just uh, we just had a episode a couple episodes ago where uh, some of our fans picked tracks for us to play. We kind of did it backwards where they, they would pick tracks and we would right. play them. And we actually did play a track from, from Wiz and Liz on that show. We had <laughs> our one, one of our listeners, Cam, was very, basically in love with, I think it was the Winter song, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good track. So that's cool. That's, that stands out to me as well. So this Nanotech Warrior soundtrack, particularly your tracks that you wrote that were very Mortal Kombat-esque from the movie were very much kind of a product of their time. So do you think that video game music, because you kind of mentioned this, that video game music nowadays is all, like, should also be a product of its time? And if not, like, how how do you think that we can get video game music back on that track with taking influence from modern day popular music or just music in general instead of just basically like movie soundtrack-esque style? As far as that goes, should it, like, should video game music get back on that track right I, I mean for me yeah but it, I mean, it depends on the type of game it is it, I mean you know there's a lot of uh, these sort of retro inspired games that I'm that I'm seeing seeing now things like one I was playing last year was Shovel Knight oh, right um, you know I love that I mean I think they did such a great job with the game it's very sort of Mega Man but it's it's I think it's better than Mega Man and then the, the soundtrack which I think was by Jake Jake Kaufman is actually incredible it, it really it really uh, has those hints of the the old and the new and it just it, everything just blends in so good and it's so beautifully composed um, and I think I, I did get a another game recently which was the Adventures of Pip which uh, again retro game and another another amazing Jake Kaufman soundtrack um, so that, I mean, I just love that that they've managed to really take these these old games and they've made them. I think they're better than they ever were. You know, they play so much better now. You're not. It's not pixel perfect. Die straight away jumping anymore. <laughs> yeah. It really. Yeah. You know, the game. The game plays. I, I think it's better than it than it was back in the day. Uh, the graphics. Are, you know, they're better and the, and the music's better. But it, it really. Uh, they really captured that that aesthetic and and I think you know, how those games used to look and feel and sound, but just just took it to a new level. Are, are there any current video Video game composers, which you really find yourself a fan of, or like following their works, other than Kaufman. Currently, I don't know. Yeah, that that that's the only one that really springs to mind. I don't get the time to really play a lot of games, mm. unfortunately now. Mm -hmm. But I I do like I, I do particularly like 
you know his work and a lot of these I don't I don't really know the composer but a lot of you know the games I get I like the like I said the retro inspired games mm-hmm. and they, they have great soundtracks so I think Faz is another one had a, a really good soundtrack yeah, yeah, disaster yeah. piece yeah. yeah yeah fantastic soundtrack so that that's the kind of thing I'm 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 gonna be a fan of if, if anything yeah so I know that uh, you've done tons and tons of work with the Genesis and uh, the more like FM based uh, soundtracks and you mentioned Shovel Knight have you ever decided or maybe kind of gave it a shot at uh, NES music or like uh, you know Nintendo inspired music I've, I've played around a little bit with NES tracker and a few things like that mm-hmm. and and I you know I managed to make some you know a bit of music that sounded sort of halfway decent but really compared to what some of the guys some of the, you know the, the, the the newer composers are doing it's absolutely incredible what they're doing it's, I didn't know that it was possible to even make it an NES sound that good you know? <laughs> I don't think they knew so, either I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah it's, ama- it's amazing to think you know that it's uh, overall as these what 30 it's getting down to be 30 years now that they, they, they just got better and better and better right. and it's like just amazing what, what people are able to do with these uh, these old old systems now yeah it's just Very, a constant surprise man yeah. I would I would I would love to hear those tracks that, that you did on, on the Famitracker or NES Tracker <laughs> That'd be awesome, All especially right. since it's so different from what you normally do with with FM and and even with the more like a uh, more modern take on music like with this PlayStation 1 game with uh, the Fear Effects series, etc. So, all right. All right. Let's move into our next track. Now, listeners might recognize this track. We we have played it before back on the episode we did with our pals over at uh, Rhythm and Pixels video game podcast. Uh, this is the ending from Mighty Max, and uh, Matt picked this one to, to play on the show. How are we going to say no to Matt? We, Matt? I mean... A, how are we going to say no to Matt? Yeah. B, how are we going to say no to this track? Yeah. I mean, I think on, on the show where we played it, we definitely considered it hands down like the best track of the show and yeah. I think it's one of the best tracks ever composed for the Genesis so I hope I'm not overselling it too much but no. here it is uh, released in 1994 the ending to the adventures of Mighty Max on the Sega Genesis from Matt Furness.
All right, welcome back. That was The Adventures of Mighty Max. And that track was the ending theme. And the game came out in 1994 for the Sega Genesis. Sorry, I'll just, I'll just wipe up the jewel. From right, the right. My mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a little bit. Jaw was right hanging there. open a yeah, little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the game's called Adventures of Mighty Max. I think it should be called Adventures of Mighty Matt because <laughs> this soundtrack is incredible. Just fantastic music in this. I can't remember who played it uh, when we played it previously. I think it was... It was one of my picks, actually. It was yeah. one of your picks. Oh, yeah. And I remember we were listening with uh, our buddies Rhythm and Pixels when, we, when they, we had them on the episode. And we're listening to this track and we were just like blown away. <laughs> and we all came back and we were just like, oh my God. Like I think it's just how the different parts fit together yeah. so well. How it slows up and speeds down but kind of maintains its heroic feeling throughout the entire... Yep. Uh, song and just just the sounds are absolutely incredible. That lead kind of guitar line really really helps it flow along, and then how that bass kind of comes in with those little da 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 really that's it for me. That bass is that as as I said before, that furnace bass comes in and it's it's not quite gallopy, but it's 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 got this nice chug to it that that kind of comes in, and I really love when. You've got those more like ambient kind of like a like sweeter synths that kind of come in, and the drums slow down to just basically like a bass yeah, snare, yeah, bass sure. snare, for sure. and then the bass line kind of like reintroduces that melody, and you're just like, oh, it just it, it, <laughs> it kills it. So Matt, any any comments on on the composition of this particular track? Do you remember writing it? I remember, yeah, I remember writing it, and I, I, it was always one of my favorite. You know, things to write in the game was always the ending music. It was always the thing I'd listen to most when I I get a new, you know, like a Sega Genesis or a Super Nintendo game, and they had the sound test. I always go straight to the ending music. <laughs> the ending music was always like the long, usually the longest piece in the in the game. It was always the the richest sort of composition. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I always look forward to doing my uh, my ending themes for a game, and and. You know, a lot of times maybe you wouldn't even get a chance to do an ending theme because they just didn't think that, you know, I remember games where it would just, you get to the end and it would just be like, it would just say the end and put a, you know, piece <laughs> of text up on the screen or something. So yeah. whenever, whenever the, you know, I had a chance to actually write an ending theme, then I'd, I'd always put put that little extra effort in there, make the, make the music a little longer and just a little richer and just, uh, you know, put some, put some, you know, more interesting instruments in there, just, just trying to. Yeah, take it up to another level. Mm. Yeah. Did you have a little more freedom with ending tracks because there wouldn't you wouldn't have to reserve channels for sound effects and stuff like that? Exactly. Yeah, because you know there's not going to be any sound effects going, uh, and plus you you've not really got to capture the theme of a particular level or a section of the game, which can be a little that's going to be a little more constraining. So an, an ending theme it's going to allow you to to take maybe little bits of themes from throughout the game from all the different parts of the game yeah, and sort true. of integrate those into one into one piece which is uh to me was always more interesting very cool well we've got a question from one of our listeners his name is nathan and i think it applies uh, pretty well to this particular track he asks how much thought did you put into making sure the compositions filled out the frequency band a lot of genesis and mega drive music tended to sound anemic in the low to mid range particularly sega's own earlier genesis music like there was a high pass filter on all the kicks and basses but your compositions always sounded well produced and with a proper Properly weighted lower end. How conscious was the decision to, to make it sound like this? Yeah, I, I would always put a lot of thought into that because I was a bit of a like a hi-fi nerd back in back in the <laughs> early '90s, and I'd, I'd always be spending money on like you know exotic hi-fi speakers and things like that. So even even in my my room where I would compose the the music, I actually had it. I had a custom preamp wired up directly onto the Sega Genesis chip. So instead of going out through the front through the headphones. 
with Joey Sandal on monthly. I actually had a, a real nice preamp just hooked directly onto the sound hardware. Awesome, that's so I cool. Could get, so, I, so I could always get those full, you know, the full frequency and get all the bass and the highs and everything else. Mm. So I would put a lot of effort into, yeah, making sure that the, the sound had a lot of, you know, bass and, and everything. That's really but cool. But of course, on the flip side, I think some of my music now, when I listen to it, say just on like a on a on a small speaker, like you might hear just on a, an old TV, then it, it might sound like you might be missing some of the bass there because you you know you need a uh, a speaker system that's going to be able to produce those low frequencies. So that's kind of like the flip side of that is that it's hard to really make a uh, a balanced sound that that's really going to sound good on every system. Yeah, true. And I think with the with the later Genesis Model Twos, they kind of suffered in that department as well. So you really needed that that original. YM2612 and the right. original Genesis Model 1 with the right kind of sound setup to really get that good, you know, sound out of it. And I think now, because, you know, VGM packs on, on VGM rips and a lot of those farms have these direct digital kind of translations of these songs, you get to hear a lot of that stuff that you might have totally missed when you were playing on a, you know, kind of a crappy TV speaker when you were sure. a kid. So yeah. it, just, it just makes it round that, that frequency spectrum out so much better. Yeah, the <laughs> Model 1 definitely, in my opinion, had the better sound, the more fuller, richer definitely. sound. Definitely. I've done side-by-side -side comparisons, yeah. and it's night and day, for yeah. sure. One other question I was going to ask you, Matt. So, you know, the, the Genesis obviously had the YM2612, that's the FM chip, and then it also had that, that Sega PSG chip that the Master System used, and that was there for backward compatibility, but they could also be used kind of in tandem with each other. Did, did you traditionally, when you composed on the, the Genesis or Mega Drive, uh, assign a particular role to the PSG? G, um, or did you just kind of you know mix and match the sounds depending on on the the track you were composing for? I never used the PSG, funnily enough. Really, yeah, I didn't even, even notice never that. Used <laughs> yeah, and it's weird because I think at the time it was like I, I knew it had the PSG, but I I spent so many years just writing music, you know, for those kind of PSG type sound hardware. I'm like, why would anyone want to use this? That's you know? crazy. Huh. When you've got six channels of FM, yeah. Listening to other uh, really good, you know, Sega Genesis soundtracks, you can hear it. Then it really fills out the sound. But at the time, I I, I kind of blew it down. I was like, ah, oh, we don't need to use that thing. Nobody's going to want to listen to these, <laughs> beat, you know, this square wave sounds coming out of this beeper when you've got an FM sound chip. But of course, it it really works well in tandem. And I think you know some of the best soundtracks, you, they use it so subtly, and you don't really hear it, but it just it just fills out the sound quite nicely. So that's one thing I I, I probably should have used, but never did. <laughs> Huh. Yeah. So even for sound effects, you never even touched the PSG when you were making those? You just stuck to FM only? FM, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's wow. incredible. I never even realized that. So, huh. so now you've done a few conversions for the master system as far as like soundtracks go, if I recall, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. So I, right. I take it you weren't a big fan of, of, of working on that particular chip? Um, it was okay, but I mean, it wasn't really a... Yeah, I wouldn't say I was a big fan of it. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty dinky. It doesn't have any low frequency there at all. It's... Yeah. it's um, it's not a really good sound sound chip at all. It's definitely one of the big complaints that a lot of people have about the sound system on the on the master system. But one interesting fact is that the the system does have FM capabilities. They they hardwired it into, from what I understand, the the, the Japanese, Japanese version. version. Yeah. The Japanese right. one had it. Yeah, the Japanese version did have an early FM system, and then when they brought it, I think to to Europe and the United States, they took they took that hardware out. That's a shame. Those just, jerks. And they just kept it with the uh, yeah, just kept it with the PSG. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever thought of toying with any of your old soundtracks on the Master System and maybe like re-encoding them or rewriting them to have that Master System like uh, the FM kind of style? 
I don't, yeah, I don't really think so, because I think a lot of, I mean, I think a lot of sound tricks I did do on the Master System, I also did on, on the Sega Genesis. Okay. Because mm. a lot of those games, they, they for a while, they were on kind of both systems. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you, I don't know, for example, something like Alien 3 has, there's a Sega Master System, a Sega Game Gear version of that, of that same mm -hmm. game. And um, it's got the same, it's got the same music in there. It just doesn't sound as good, of course. Which yeah. I know that that game also had an NES port. And we're going to talk about Alien Three in a little bit. But I was curious about the the NES version. Why uh, was there a reason why the NES version was not a version that you that you did, or was it just? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even have an NES driver. Oh, um, really? For doing that, and of course, so I think um, I, I believe Probe did that. And I, I think it was a uh, Jerome Tell. Yep. Yes. Music for that one. Yep. Yeah. So you know, he's obviously just an amazing uh, composer. Oh, but, definitely. You know, they're they're going to use him. He's got a great sound driver, and he he, <laughs> he, he writes phenomenally good music. So yeah. Yep. Um, I guess that's why they they went with in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. Well, let's get back to a little bit of um, some PSG. Let's uh, play a track from the Atari ST. This is a one I chose called Botics, and this one came out on the ST in 1990. This is the title theme to that game. Let's give this one a listen. Cool. And we're back. That was a game called Botics, which came out on the Atari ST in uh, 1990. That was the title theme. And that was actually a, a Chrysalis-developed game, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Matt? 
That's right. Yeah, that was one of the smaller Chrysalis games. Not a, not a, I don't think it was a real big seller or anything. It's it's sort of like a... Remember those old TV tennis games? With yes. With the bat and the ball? It's like a, a sort of modern version of that with a sort of isometric 3D type play field and a little, little robot guy that turns into a little ball. You get to bat him around. And... Yep. Yeah, I was just going to describe it as an isometric style Pong game. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like a depreciated third-person <laughs> mode. I really, really love how you fit that motif, that that's, that whole bouncing ball sound into the music itself because it kind of starts off with the bong, bong, back and forth. Oh, yeah, huh? And, and then it kind of kicks into this, this song that kind of continues that throughout it. It's got this kind of callback to that. Was that intentional because you knew that the game was going to be kind of like a 3D futuristic take on Pong? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think the game was almost completely written and finished before I even started the music. Oh, okay. I remember the, the guys that were the, doing that, you know, the programming, the graphics, and I don't think it took too long to get that game together. Maybe a couple of months, I think, total hmm. for the whole thing. So uh, the game was already there, and I got to do, you know, sound effects first, and then a bit of music there for the for the intro. And like you said, just use that little bouncing theme, <laughs> right? Uh, right. Put those kind of types of sounds in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really simple game, but it's it's pretty fun we were checking it out it's kind of hard yeah but the, the matches are over really quick so it just keeps you yep. moving on now this game also had an amiga version do you remember and uh, as from what i can recall the amiga theme song was almost identical to the atari st but it used obviously the sample based hardware instead do you remember which one you wrote first uh i think it would probably be the atari one in that case and the amiga one did have yeah the, the similar music maybe the same and, and it had like a newscaster and some sort of speech on there and yes yeah mm-hmm. newscaster would so it was like a sports cast type tv broadcast i believe yeah it was like the robots were announcing the matches as yeah, the game went on that's right yeah, yeah. And the Atari ST version was kind of dumbed down a little bit. I think it had some graphics of newscasters, but there was no like text or no voice. Right. So it was just like a picture of a newscaster to kind of get you in that feel. And then the the game would start. But it, you know, I listened to both, and I actually kind of liked the the Atari ST version a little bit better. I think the the bass was just nice and low and crunchy, and it kind of had mm-hmm. that kind of almost a C sixty four pulse width modulation, like a very phasey kind of sound that went along with it. The notes never seemed to be like a like a staccato hit. It, it, the notes almost seem to like kind of go just like you said almost like a wave or like a bounce like nothing ever stays focused or centered it's always just kind of moving Doesn't and feel flowing like a, like a sharp square right kind of a, right a, right a format yeah yeah it's very very cool the game itself you know pretty simple we didn't uh didn't focus on it too much yeah i mean it was basically a 3d like isometric depreciated third person view and you've got these thin rectangular areas in the middle of each wall so you'll have look at it, look at it like a 3d box you you've got one paddle on the back side and then one panel on the front so you can see both paddles i imagine it like a restaurant server window you know yeah. like a big rectangle cut out yep. inside a wall and you've got to get the ball through that hole and that's what she said that's what she said and so <laughs> once you uh, do that, uh, you either win or you lose. And what's interesting is if you win, then you advance to the next level. If you lose, you go back to a previous level. And if you go back too many times, then you end up uh, Yeah, you start losing. in the middle of five rooms, basically. Right. You move back rooms if you lose, and you move forward rooms right. if you win. You have to get all the way to the end of those five so if you lose two, then you have to win like five yeah. in a row to get all the and way back it's up. It's pretty again. tough. <laughs> yeah, it was it was difficult. Yeah, but it was fun. I mean, I think the 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 sensation of 3D in the environment was pretty cool. There was a shadow under the ball, so you could kind of tell where it went. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rules were pretty well thought out. So it was a, it was a pretty good designed game. 
Did you have any, you know, input when, when this game was being made, Matt, or did they just kind of, like, throw the game at you and say, here, make that music? Yeah, they just, yeah, I could see the game, and I, I was playing the game, and just, I just said, yeah, I'll put a title music on that. And I think that in the game, I think you play for different countries, so I have all the, the like, uh, little snippets of national anthems mm-hmm. that play, um, maybe before the matches, and I think it has, like, a, like a little piece of music when you win, one when you lose, so, but I know when you play the game, it's it's silent, just the sound effects, yeah. Yeah, it was like Germany and England right. and a couple of different different themes that you could. And they were all like little, like, I guess basically the introductions to their national anthem. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then yeah. a little a little theme whenever you pick the character you wanted to play as you get a little groovy kind of theme for that for that character. So mm-hmm. those pretty cool snippets of music here and there. So I know that, and this is kind of unrelated to any other question that we've asked so far, but I'm curious. We I know we've often discussed amongst ourselves and on the show about Japanese composers being friendly or like going to outings uh, outside of work. Are you personal friends with any other video game composers or sound hardware uh, women or, or men or... Um, well, I stay keep in touch with a few people, you know, from back in the UK a little bit on, you know, Facebook friends, that kind of stuff, but not right. uh, uh, not sort of closely acquainted with anybody, no. So there's no, like, you know, big outings where all the video game music composers go to hang out? Oh, they've, they've done, they've, there has been in the UK, yeah, they've, they've done these back-in-time events um, every couple of years where a lot of the composers uh, from back in the day get together. Um, oh, that's cool. You know, and I always, you know, I always get invited to go, but I, I can never make it back to the UK, unfortunately. It's very uh. difficult to get back there. And I don't think there's really anything like that going on out here in the States. Um, not that I know of anyway, you know, but I would like to, to, you know, probably go to one of those events back in the UK at some point if I ever get back, if I ever get to travel back there. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. And I know that uh, Sean Hollingworth, are, are you still in contact with him or... Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I hear from him uh, from time to time. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, now, is, do you know what he's up to? Is he still writing like sound drivers or doing, you know, <laughs> no, <I think laughs> hanging out? He's uh, writing um, security software now. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Cool. Okay. Still in the coding biz. Right. Coding biz. Yeah. Well, back in the day, you had to be a tech guru or tech whiz or uh, almost like a programmer on top of being a, a composer. Yeah, it, it definitely helped to, to have a little, at least a little bit of technical knowledge, I think helped go a long way. Yeah, certainly, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Let's move on to our next game. So this is Alien 3 for the Sega Genesis. Came out in 1992. This is stage two that we're going to be playing the track from. In my opinion, it should be renamed I Need a Change of Underwear because it's that good. You're ridiculous. <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and give it a listen and uh, go get go get some underwear.
All right, you just got your face melted off by Alien 3 for the Sega Genesis in 1992 was the year of release. That track was Stage 2, also known as I Just Rocked Ed's World. Yeah, that was pretty darn good, man. That's right. Yeah. Well, I didn't. Actually, Matt did. But I <laughs> showed you, you Matt via me. World. Right, yes. exactly. Yes. Yeah. So why did you pick this one? I found this one on accident, in all honesty. I was sifting through trying to find some tracks for this episode, and this was the last track that I picked. And I had known about the Alien 3 game. We talked about this a little earlier. There was an NES version, which I didn't think it was Matt's soundtrack, and that's why I asked. I I knew it was somebody else, like your own tell. But I found out afterwards that he, he worked on the Genesis version was like, oh, okay, so it's got to be good. And then I was sifting <laughs> through the tracks and found this one and was just like completely fell in love with this track. It's, It starts off with just this more like relaxed, but still like kind of grungy, like tough vibe. You know, it really matches the game. But then once it kicks into that more like prog metal, prog rock kind of dancey thing that I don't even know how to explain it. It's just... <laughs> Kind of reminded me of that, that Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters track yep. where it has this kind of, you know, slow start yep. and then the tempo just picks up and then all of a sudden you're rocking along with it and you don't even realize what hits you in the face. You it know? reminded me a lot of like a more clearer sounding version of uh, Road Rash 3's intro track, which I know you were not a big fan oh, of yeah, the yeah, yeah. actual like arrangement, not necessarily the composition. But here, the drums are very similar to, to that. Not quite as like booming sounding, but still like really just typical style uh, of you know Matt's tracks. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what, what were you, as far as this particular track or really just the soundtrack in general, what were you kind of going for as far as like a vibe? I mean, I just think it was just gonna be a, a, a big action game, this one. It's obviously mm-hmm. nothing like the movie. If you've ever seen the movie, the movie's really slow and it's, Nothing right. like Aliens, which is the second movie. This is the Alien 3 video game really should be the Aliens video game because this is right. much more like the movie. And I, I'd seen um, some demos of the game and it was kind of like Contra-like a little bit. So I always like the music to Contra. So I wanted to do something a little bit like that or like uh, I think there was another game with Midnight Resistance was another one that was a little bit like yep. this, like one of the side-scrolling running guns. So I wanted to do something um, that had a little bit of that sort of that influence of those games a little bit more Japanese sounding maybe um, so that was that was really what I was going for and then just just make it real you know faster beat that kind of thing yeah now um, regarding the composition process when it comes to like licensed games um, how does it compare with original IPs because I know you've worked on like original IPs and licenses do the licensees have any kind of sound requirements like for example in Aliens 3 the Fox fanfare being played at the beginning of the game or anything like that, or what kind of sound requirements do they have? Ever? Yeah, they, they're, they're always going to get the sort of final say, and like you said, in this case, I actually wrote the Fox Fanfare uh, to put in the game, but they didn't have rights to use it in the game, so even though it's, it's <laughs> even though that's actually buried in the, you know, it's in the cartridge, but when you play the real game, you, you don't get, I don't believe you get to hear it um, when you play the game, no, yeah. just from that's a cartridge, funny. yeah. So you're only going to hear that on some, uh, like I said, when someone's extracted the sound data and put it on some sort of emulator. That's the only way you can... So it's just it. like buried in the it's code. buried in there, but you're not going to hear it, yeah. So was a, there was a few of those um, <laughs> times where, yeah, where I'd, I'd written maybe a piece and just copied it from the movie, just like, I'll just use the movie music and just make a version. But if they didn't have the rights to it, then it wouldn't make it in, or you wouldn't get to hear it in this case. That's really cool. That's really funny, you know, having a movie but not being able to use 
use the sound from the movie. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess it gave you more creative freedom as far as writing the soundtrack went. So that's probably a good trade-off for that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they weren't like banging down your door being like, all right, hold on, whoa, you need to add more bass here, more snare there. They they weren't doing that at all? Uh, some Sometimes they would, yeah. I mean, uh, on, on this particular one, I three, it was just, I, I don't remember having to re- redo any of the music, but but some projects that I'd done, I think I did the Mickey Mickey Mania for Disney, and that was just yep. endless rewrites. They just they, they I could never make them happy, and they just wanted it redone and redone and redone and redone. And it just, really? Yeah, it just, it just end, it was never ending. Yeah. Uh, another one was uh, Pitfall, Mine Adventure. Same with that one. It was just it was just endless. Yeah. I just had to keep redoing it. Yeah. With Pitfall, you did the Sega Genesis version. Did you also do the? Because there's a Sega CD version. Did you also do that one no, too? No, just just the Sega Genesis one. Yeah. Interesting. And yet you decided to work for Disney anyway. Even after that, <laughs> yeah. So it's fine. Because um, I did, I done some other. Di- I think I did. Uh, yeah, the Lion. I did the Lion King for Disney, and I don't remember that one being too much of a problem. Yeah, um, but that was really just taking the uh, music from the Super NES version and, and converting that down to Sega Genesis. Oh, okay. Whereas the mm-hmm. the the Mickey one, that was more original compositions. But they, they were also using. Um, I think there was a team of composers called Blythe Jouster in the UK were doing some music for that one. I think maybe even Mike uh, Michael G. Kino might have done some some work on that one as well because he was a he okay, was actually yeah. on staff at Disney at the time as well. Yeah, hmm. and it makes sense because Disney's very very protective of their IP, especially Mickey Mouse. Yeah, so yeah. they're going to want everything to be one hundred percent perfect before it hits the shelves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was a great game, yeah. so it makes makes total sense. But I think in the end, I think I think the soundtrack is good in the end, so I think uh, with retrospect, you know, a lot of decisions they made were, were probably the right decisions anyway, so. Yeah. This Alien 3 game is actually really fun. We were sitting down and playing it, and I uh, I need to pick it up now because it's <laughs> it was a lot of fun. You're going through as Ellen Ripley, uh, shooting aliens in the face. Um, this one, I, I feel, is a little bit more responsive than the NES version. The NES version, the aliens kind of come out of nowhere, and they don't really give you a chance to attack, so you got to kind of memorize the patterns. And I think you get a little bit more leeway with them in the Genesis you get that version. that burst fire, too, from the machine gun. And, you know, yeah. this, this game really did have that darker color palette. Right. And a lot of those sections where you're kind of climbing around in the ventilation ducts where it kind of feels very claustrophobic. So yeah. I think it did really kind of bring a little bit more of that movie feel into the game than the NES one did. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's a really fun game, definitely recommend it. Plus it's got a great soundtrack, of course, by Matt. So it's got kind of like the whole package as far as that goes. It's it's good gameplay mixed with, you know, fantastic music and, you know, you can't really ask for more than that. Exactly, and it's not going for too much money, so probably, it's worth, cheap. probably yeah. worth picking up if Definitely you see pick it. it up. All right, so from Aliens 3, how about something we get a little, uh, a little more happy? <laughs> this one is uh, a game about a tomato that's trying to rescue his love interest. This is called Bill's Tomato Game. This is actually a game that never ended up getting released for the Mega Drive or Genesis. Uh, This is the ending theme to that game by, of course, Matt Furness. Let's give it a listen.
Welcome back. That was Bill's Tomato Game. That was the ending theme, and that never came out on the Sega Genesis. <laughs> Although I think it was slated for release around 1993, if I remember correctly. A nice little samba kind of uh, almost uh, like a relaxing vibe to this one. Yeah, it's cool because this game in particular, like the the soundtrack, has a lot of different themes. I think we've already played two tracks from this particular game already on the podcast. We played, I think, the Halloween theme I did during one of our Halloween episodes. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was a winter theme we played on one of our winter episodes. Did, did you have a lot of fun making this one, Matt? Because it seemed like a lot of these levels have a lot of creativity that you could you could put into the music. Yeah, it was re- it was really fun working on this one because um, the original game was from the Amiga. I don't believe it had this much music in it. Maybe they had a title music and you know just some little bits, but certainly having all the music and the levels and the different themes that was something I was able to write some original compositions for for this game. Um, so it was fun and just being able to experiment with different types of sounds and really just I had the freedom to to really do what I wanted to do on this on this game. Uh, I must ask, who is Bill? Um, I think it's the the name of the programmer that that wrote the original. You'd have to look him up on. That's what uh, I thought. Yeah, there's a programmer named Bill Pullen. Must that be, sound that's, it. that's it. Yeah, so yeah. Be, that's why we call Bill's Tomato Game, and that's that's really funny. And a lot of the, you know there was quite a lot of games back then would just come from maybe you know the the program would just be playing with ideas, and I'll try this with a, a you know like some kind of puzzle game, and I'll just try some ideas, and then eventually it starts to form into a game, and, and maybe then a publisher would pick it up. But a lot of these games they didn't have a, a really structured sort of design plan of what it was going to be. It was very freeform, and just the game would evolve out of uh, out of nothing in, and then into something. So that's yeah. probably, I'm guessing that's where it came from for this game. Yeah, for, for, for <laughs> it's just funny that a, a programmer would be like, you know what? Let's just name this game after me. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever find out why this game was never released? Why it got canned, even though it was almost like 100% done? I'm guessing they just they wouldn't be able to sell it. There was a lot of Psygnosis games that that I did and that were not published. There was this one. There was Rescue. There was a Sega Genesis version of Blood Money, which was an old Amiga game. Hmm, hmm. And that was never released. I did the music to that. That and that's I don't know why the music is for that. And there was Shadow of the Beast three, which I did the music for for Sega Genesis. That was never mm-hmm. published, and nobody's ever seen the the version of that either. So I'm not sure if it's lost or someone has it. I don't know. Wow. wow. Yeah, because these all these came out. You know, this is just as Sony Sony had acquired Psygnosis anyway, and obviously mm-hmm. Sony were launching the PlayStation in uh 1994 i think it was so that i don't think that they would have any interest in really publishing you know sega games at that point oh, that makes sense that's yeah that's what i think it may be yeah i've i've read online that sean hollingworth doesn't know where the driver for the sega genesis uh, either is that no. true or uh, we, yeah i'm pretty sure we wouldn't have a, the source code for that anymore it'd be be on some hard disk somewhere but huh. who knows? yeah Interesting. Bummer. It, it's one of those things like, um, you know, you read online all these uh, things about people, programmers finding stuff like uh, Michelle Ansel found uh, Rayman for Super Nintendo just hanging out. Right, right. You right. know, I, I wonder if it's one of those things where Sean's going to be cleaning out his basement one day and just be like, oh, here it is. Here it like, is. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I was so excited when this Bill's, you know, tomato game showed up. Um, I think it, it showed up on eBay as a, I think it was an engineering prototype cartridge ah. or something. Someone had managed to find it at a, a yard sale or a swap meet. Wow. And I saw it went up for sale and it, I think it, it sold for quite a lot of money on eBay because it was obviously huge, super unique. There's only right. one. 
to a yeah. collector, and I was just praying that, oh, please extract the ROM before it you know, gets damaged or something, because I've yeah, yeah. this music for years uh, or seen the game, so I was, I was really happy when, when someone finally did get a, a, an extract of the ROM image and uh, I could hear the music again. Yeah, that must have been a, a nice piece of nostalgia for you. <laughs> So, like I said, there are other ones out there, so I don't know if they'll ever surface, but there's probably maybe 10, uh, 10 games I wrote the music for that I've not heard since I did it because they just they disappeared into the <sighs> somewhere. So, who wow. knows? Maybe, that, maybe they will show up one day. Yeah, that's, that's such a shame. That's so, crazy. so, speaking of, of that, that driver that, that Sean Hollingworth created for you, can you, because from what I recall, it was kind of a unique setup. Can you kind of explain how that, how that worked? Uh, yeah, so it, what we did is we had a, an Atari Mega ST system, which was like a big Atari ST, like a, it was a version of Atari ST with just more more memory and it, it came in a little sort of like a, a stack of units that you put together. Hmm. And um, that had like a soundtracker type interface that Sean wrote for that. And then he created a piece of hardware, just a cable that would go out from the serial or parallel port, one of the two parallel port, I think, and he connected it up to the joystick ports on the Sega Genesis. <laughs> so it would actually send music data sort of in real time down into the joystick ports on the Sega development system. So that allowed me to, to really compose and hear in real time exactly what it would sound like. So it wasn't like one of these other systems where you'd use a MIDI sequencer, make your music, and then try and sort of port it over and then try and make it sound how it sounded when you wrote it. This was mm -hmm. really composing in real time and being able to hear exactly how it would sound in the game as as I was making it, which was awesome. I think that was a big help. Yeah. So that kind of feeds into a, one of our last Matt Chat questions that uh, our listener Daniel Tallin wrote in, and so he asks, "How did you make the Genesis version of Wolf Child sound so much better than the rest? The fact that it's far and away better than even the Amiga music is especially impressive. And why couldn't more people show that kind of mastery when it came to Sega's 16-bit offering? So do you attribute a lot of that to the driver that that Hollingworth wrote for you, and then the hardware?" Yeah, well, it's the, the driver and the hardware, and then just being on time, you've got more sound channels, and like we said, with the Amiga, you know, you might be looking at maybe just three or four sound channels there with very, very limited amount of sample space. So with the Sega, in that same amount of memory, you can be able to make a much richer composition because you can use all those sound channels. You're not constrained by having to have samples for everything. Right, right. So you can just put in your, your percussion and your, your samples there. And then you've got all these other sounds that are, they're all synthesized. They don't take up any memory. So you can you can make as many uh, sounds as you want, make them really lush and really fat sounding. And, and you can just you know improve the composition there. And then if, if it's a piece of music like with The Wolf Child, I was a big fan of, uh, I think it was Martin Iverson that wrote that music. Mm -hmm. yep. so I, was, I, was a, I think his name was Nuke in the demo scene. And he was a great composer. Anyway, so I was always a big fan. So if, if I got a chance to work on something where I was already, already a big fan of that composer, that was... I, you know, I don't want to let let that composer down. I don't want to ruin his <laughs> his piece. I want to make it, if anything, you know, true to to his original. But you know, then improve it. You know, if I can make it sound a little richer and a little fuller just from the sound hardware, then I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Yeah. We've covered Wolfchild before, specifically that I think it was the stage one theme, if mm -hmm. I recall, on the Sega CD episode that we did. Was there any kind of relationship that you had with Core Design where you had to work directly with them since it was their game? Or was it sort of the thing where uh, the game was just kind of given to you as far as Wolfchild goes and you were like, oh, okay, now I'm working on a Core Design game. Like, how, how did that work as far as, because I know you weren't employed by Core Design, so were you kind of hired on as like a freelancer? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they would just they would just hire Chrysalis to, to do the soundtracks. And in case of Core, they were they were like a local company. They were based down in, in Derby in the right. UK, and that, we were in Rotherham, and that, they're probably like a thirty minute drive away, just down the freeway. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so I think I can't remember if if Chrysalis were doing work for. I think they had a relationship. I know that the the guy that ran Chrysalis had a had a, a, a pretty good or close working relationship with uh, the guys at Core. And of course, mm. I think it's because Core were, were broke off from Gremlin, if you remember. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's Gremlin Graphics, and, and people left Gremlin Graphics. Some of them formed Core, and some other guys, they formed Tech and Chrysalis. Right. So they, they all kind of knew each other anyway. And like I said, we were one of the few places in the UK where you could get your Sega Genesis music anyway. So they came to us. So Now good. I'm just picturing in my head a, a, a Tomb Raider game with the Matt Furnace soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Bill's Tomato Game. Uh, it's a fun game. It's it's basically a, a puzzle style game, kind of like a puzzle platformer in a way, because you're playing this this little tomato. We've talked about the game before. Yeah, and, but you hadn't uh, played it. I had last two times I played it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually sat down and played it, and I was uh, very visually impressed with the game. You know, you've got these really bright, yeah, the vibrant really nice. colors. Yeah, it's it's very impressive. But you're playing as this tomato, trying to rescue your, I don't know, sister slash love interest. So you're getting <laughs> launched from this platform, and you get these items that you can like arrows and and different like platforms and things, fans that will blow you in the opposite direction. You've got to kind of move these and lock them onto a specific part of the background. It's kind of an exercise in physics. Yeah, you know, yeah. basically launching a tomato across the screen and using mechanical devices mm-hmm. to try to get it to get it to the end. Yeah. So. Pretty cool. fun. Yeah. yeah. So let's move to a game that neither one of us had played or even knew about yeah. before this show. This one is called Second Samurai, and it's uh, another ending theme. This was on the Mega Drive, uh, came out in 1994, again by Matt Furness. So let's take a listen to this one. Welcome back. That was The Second Samurai, and that was the ending track from the Mega Drive European exclusive. came out in 1994, again composed by our guest of the several hours, Matt Furness. Uh, So Matt, this was a sequel to a game called The First Samurai, which came out on Super Nintendo, as well as numerous other systems like uh, the Amiga, the Atari ST, the Commodore 64, got kind of ported everywhere. 
But this game in particular, it looks like it was only available on the Amiga and the Mega Drive. So did you write the music for this one first on the Amiga and then kind of bring it over to the Mega Drive? I only did the Mega Drive one for this one. I don't know who did the, the Amiga one. I wasn't even aware that there was an, an Amiga version of the game, to be honest. So Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, that's what we have listed as for 1994. The game was released on both the Mega Drive and the Amiga. So hmm. that's kind of interesting because I'm only seeing the developer listed as Vimid Image. So maybe they got somebody else to do the Amiga version, which is such a shame because, I mean... You are pretty familiar with both. I would imagine they'd be like, "Hey, we got a guy who could do both. Why not do both?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just did the just did the Mega Drive one for this, and it's uh, it's like a, a side-scrolling platform sort of beat 'em up. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool the, game. Yeah, yeah I had cool a lot of fun yeah. with it. And they did want a lot of music. There's quite a lot of music in the game. I think there's maybe like 20 different pieces of music in the game. And at the time, I was, I was playing a lot of beat-em-ups. I was a big fan of Yuzo Koshiro and, and the Streets of Rage music. So I wanted to do something along that lines, although my music's not nearly as good as his, of course. But, uh, well, I don't know about that. You know, I'm trying try, try <laughs> my best to, to do something uh, as good as I could for this one and, and uh, make it interesting. And of course, if you listen to this one, this one doesn't have so many sampled percussion sounds in it. I used more sort of synthetic snare drums and things in this one, if you could hear that. Yeah. No, I could tell this one definitely did have a, a difference in sound. like for the, A little bit of a softer tone, yeah, so yeah. especially the percussion. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted, uh, I think one of the reasons was they, they wanted a lot of sampled sort of punching and kicking sounds when you play mm -hmm. the game. Mm -hmm. So I knew that if, you know, if I'd use sort of digital percussion drums, there's only one channel can play those. So I knew they'd get drowned out a lot by all the, the sound effects. So that's that was a conscious decision to really move those to more of a synthetic sound so that the digital sample sounds could be used for the, the sound effects and the uh, mm -hmm. as you play in the game, yeah. Yeah, and I noticed that the percussion also had a much kind of like a wider stereo pan than a lot of the other songs do. And it, it, so did the sample channel, was that only able to be played in like mono in the center channel or was that kind of a conscious decision to, to keep it in the center channel when you used it in your music? Um, I, believe, I believe it could. You could play the samples on, on just the left or right, but I never did that. I always just kept them in the middle. So Okay. I don't hmm. know. The game is pretty interesting. I mean, it's, it, as you said, an action platforming beat em up kind of style game and it's kind of a collectathon where you're going through collecting different like a lot of items to collect around yeah. this game yeah uh, my big joke while we were playing the game was it's like as if it was like uh, you were playing a Shang Sun from Mortal Kombat and you were just like trying to release all the souls <laughs> so that's pretty much what you're doing is you're going through you're playing as a sword master samurai guy you can also play as a female samurai I think I think it's only exclusive to the two player mode but the game is, is fun plays really really good the controls tight you're kind of going through like all these different levels like prehistoric and future and you know kind of like a feudal japan sort of thing it's like samurai versus cavemen yeah it's kind of interesting did, yeah. did did you get any sort of uh, musical direction when you were writing the soundtrack as, as far as like it seems like there's different time periods that these these characters travel through throughout the game yeah that's right yeah so i think it does start yeah it starts in prehistoric times with like cavemen and dinosaurs and things like that and then it, it moves through uh, through the current like modern day and then it goes into the future so that was the themes that I, I really needed to write for this one were based on the, the time periods that's pretty cool time yeah. traveling samurai go figure <laughs> <laughs> but I really did like this ending theme uh, it's got like like I said a very wide stereo pan yeah. those leaves are just fantastic it sounds very kind of laid back yeah. for ending theme it's not the usual kind of heroic themes that you're kind of used to with, with, a, with your typical ending theme but it feels like oh you won now you can sit back and 
you know, sip some mimosas by a poolside or something like that. That's what samurais do. <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm a samurai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move into our next track. So this is Fido Dido. This is another unreleased game for the Sega Genesis. And this is, again, the ending track by Matt Furness. I had no idea this one even existed. That was Fido Dido uh, that didn't come out for the Genesis or Mega Drive. <laughs> Again, that was the ending theme from Matt Furness. And two things I got to say is, one, what I said last time about sitting by mimosas by the poolside. No, yep. this is the sitting by yes. the poolside with mimosas Definitely. Theme. And second, this is the kind of track where I'm like, I could almost be certain that there was some PSG usage, especially those kind of chords in the background. They just sound so square wave to me, but mm. I guess... Not. <laughs> so I guess that's where I'm kind of mistaken here. But I really like this one. It's got a very kind of tropical feel to it. I'm, I'm super not familiar with this game because, like I said, I didn't even know it existed until yesterday when we started. Mike and I sat down together and started kind of checking out some of these games so we could talk about them right. a little bit. So, so Matt, what's the story behind this one? I know that Fido Dido was like the mascot before Spot showed up. Right, Fido Dido. the 7-Up mascot before Spot showed up. 7-Up, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, was, it was like this character they had on the 7-Up commercials, this kind of cool character. It looked like you'd drawn with a, like a pencil. Hmm. Almost. So I guess they acquired the rights, wanted a, a game based on this character. So if you listen to any of the other tracks in the game, they're all based around the Seven Up. What what was the was it the Seven Up music back then? I guess it was the It's Cool to Be Clear Seven Up. Yeah. Little, little uh, jingle they would have there on the on the TV commercials. And then for the ending music, I just wanted something super relaxing and. And like you said, with the, the sounds, I, I was really going through this phase of being really obsessed with trying to make the, the Sega Genesis sound more 8-bit than 16-bit almost. So I, I figured out how to make these uh, really crisp sort of square waves and just, I don't know, not sweepy sounding traditional sort of Sega Genesis, but just a lot sort of crisper, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. It definitely, it definitely you, you nailed it as far as like uh, trying to make the Genesis sound like an 8-bit machine. It definitely... It has this very like simplistic feel to it, but it, uh, it sounds very full, very rich. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I was, I was going for this, but yeah, like you're right, like a, almost simpler, like a, a devolved sort of sound that made it sound not as good in some ways, but sort of better in other ways. Right. I don't know. Just something I was just sort of into. Um, this one's a, a later soundtrack, probably must be from the, the one of the last ones I did on the Sega Genesis. And it's just the, just the type of sounds I was trying to make back then. 
There's just something different. And I think you can hear that evolution from, especially when you hear those very first Sega Genesis games that came out of Japan, the types of music they had were very, very FM, mm -hmm. almost overdriven and just uh, really um, almost aggressive sounding sounds and then to, towards the later sort of periods of the sega genesis everybody you know everything got a little little subtler and a little more nuanced yeah a little more finesse i think yeah because a lot of those yeah. really aggressive like a comic zone had a very very thick kind of fm sound to yeah. it. Uh -huh. it's it's interesting i had seen this character before like i i knew of what... like a clothing line yeah so the way it works is uh fido dido was created by these two people, Joanna Farone and Sue Rose. The character was created like on a napkin. Just them, two of them Do hanging out, doodling. They created this character. The character got very popular on t-shirts in New York with a, a phrase on it uh, labeled, Fido is for Fido, Fido is against no one. So I guess this caught on by Pepsi, PepsiCo, bought out the license or whatever, got the license in 1987. Fido Dido was on, like, as you said, 7-Up cans. He was replaced with Cool Spot as the brand mascot. And of course, right. you know, Cool Spot made, you know, uh, was made in several games. So I, I don't know, it's kind of weird because in this game was supposedly developed in 93 and uh, it was made by uh, Kaneko. Uh, it was for... going to be published by Kaneko. Right, it was going to be published. it was made by Teeny Weeny Games, I believe. Right, Teeny Weeny Games, which I believe they're also a UK developer right yes they were yeah they were based uh, down in london at the time that's right yeah okay so they worked on that and then i guess kaneko went under or at least they, their u.s branch shut down in uh, 1994 in the summer of 94 so that's why the game never came out i see yes interesting mm -hmm. very very interesting so i believe there was a super nes version that was also supposed to come out do you know if you worked on that version as well matt i didn't work on that one no, no. okay so again same thing with the sega genesis was the one that you worked on yeah this game was interesting it was like a platformer very like comic zone kind of feel to it where like everything was kind of black and white and Fido Dido was black and white. You're like rescuing Fido Dido's girlfriend or something like that. Yeah, it was like office things. Like, yeah. like you were shrunk down like you were a little piece of paper right. running around on a desk or something like that. The animation was really cool and like the frustrating part is we, we didn't spend a lot of time with this one mainly because we couldn't figure out how to play it. It was kind of stiff. It felt a little unfinished. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was this option to like change to a different item and it would like make a pencil appear out of nowhere and then the pencil would like write in like a, a generic block and I think yeah. we were supposed to block yeah, something. It actually said generic block on yeah. it. It's just something that you could step on to right. like make your own platforms along yeah, the way. Yeah. So it was a cool little mechanic yeah but uh we were kind of getting frustrated with it because there was no attack that we could find in the short time that we did play it but you know i kind of want to spend a little bit more time with this one because it, it looks pretty cool yeah actually fido dido reappeared in the 2000s and apparently is still used on cans uh, advertising for seven up worldwide i don't know oh neat yeah i mean i haven't seen him lately no idea that's pretty cool yeah all right well let's move on to our last map pick of the day all right uh this one is called the legend of galahad and this one came out, actually came out, this is a release game. Yes. Uh, it came out on Genesis in 1992, again, composed by Matt Furness. So let's give this one a listen. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. That was Legend of the Galahad, and that was the ending track for the Sega Genesis game that was released in 1992. And that track was really good. Uh, <laughs> Both our heads were kind of like bobbing in yeah. unison as we were listening to it. I think it's that that massive drum hit just really gives it almost kind of like a, a like a reggae feel, yeah, almost. But then with that that nice bass line and those crazy stereo effects going back and forth on that on those kind of like lead arps, it's really Th- cool. Those lead melodies though, kind of. Feel to me at least uh, very tangerine dreamish, uh, like, like kind of spacey. Yeah, like really spacey. But I absolutely like what absolutely killed it for me. Uh, not killed it in a bad way, but just like nailed it. Was when that melody comes in, you know, the and then you threw in the the higher octave that kind of like layered on top of it, and I'm like, oh, that's it, I'm done. Harmonizing. I absolutely love it when when (laughs) when composers do that. So you you won my appreciation on that one immediately as soon as I heard that. Well, thanks. I appreciate that you you heard the Tangerine Dream because that was one of my favorite bands at that time when I was growing up, and I used to to listen to a lot of. of, uh, synthesized uh, you know, music, Tangerine Dream, Jean-Michel Jarre and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's probably where the influence was coming from there. I don't know if, if I was really conscious of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. I went with that sort of stereo sort of bells at the beginning and then just trying to bring in those slightly thicker sounding drums. And, and then I just, I don't know, as, as I was making this song, it just sort of evolved into these really nice kind of chord transitions that I wasn't really mm-hmm. intending, but they just sort of worked. So. It, it, this is a, a song that I never intended it to really sound like this, but it just sort of evolved into it. Right. That's cool, and, and it worked amazingly well. So it's, yeah. it's really cool. You know, I'm kind of I'm, I'm glad that you actually picked all ending tracks for the for the tracks that you wanted to play for this show because it really does show off a lot of the stuff that I know a lot of people probably aren't used to hearing. You mm-hmm. know, I think a lot of people nowadays, especially with you know older Genesis games and 16-bit stuff. You know, these games are so readily available as ROMs and stuff. Yeah. A lot of people just kind of play through the first three stages or so, and they're like, yeah, I get the gist of it, and they right. move on. I don't think a lot of people really kind of play things through to the end as much as they used to, like when they used to own a video game and they only had like right. 12 in their collection or something like that. Well, so. I think a large part of that, though, is because games back then were so difficult that you would get to the point where you're like, all right, I'm done with this, and yeah. you would just give up on it. It was the gameplay, the the characters, the the music, everything kind of fits into a complete package and that to me is what made you want to like finish a game all the way through to hear every part of it. So, you know, with with a game like Legend of Galahad, we were playing through it and it's kind of this like, looks like it was published by uh, Electronic Arts, uh, which they actually did a lot of like sword and sorcery type games that they published back back in the day. Back in the day, this was, you know, pre-Madden or, you know, right around the time when they were just starting out with John Madden football. You know, they made games like, or the published games like Blades of Vengeance, and I think they kind of leaned more on on the UK developers to kind of give them games that were very similar to this, like Legend of Galahad. Do, do you remember at all as far as when it comes to Electronic Arts, like working with them, or, or did, did you ever have any kind of feedback from them regarding the soundtrack at all? No, I, well, I never actually worked with directly with Electronic Cards because they were just the publisher, but I, I did have a fairly close working relationship with the developer, which was uh, Traveler's Tales, who became TT Games. Right. So TT Games, you know, do all the, they do all the Lego games right now. Right. That's their big thing. But this, I think this may have been their, one of their first games um, ever. I think that it was called Leander for the Amiga. That was right. mm-hmm. probably they, EA wanted to change the name because everybody's like, what's Leander mean? We'll change it to Galahad. <laughs> 
right, right. a more recognizable name. But this could have been Travelers Tale. It might have been their first game. They saw the a Pug, the Pugsy demo that they did. But this is all all tied into to those uh, first wave of TT games that they they made back then. Yeah. It's like yeah. a little bit of history. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't aware that this was one of their first. Yeah, Traveler's Tales has been doing stuff for years. You know, they've been in the game for a long time. They, I think they worked on Sonic 3D Blast, if Sonic I recall. Sonic 3D as well Blast was one of theirs. That's right. Yeah, they, they did that. And then, uh, and then they moved on to the LEGO games, and they've been doing that uh, ever since, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for, for soundtracks like this, where this is obviously kind of a, a period piece where you've got, you know, like a, almost Spartan-looking soldiers running mm-hmm. around with swords and stuff, did you ever do any kind of, like, research into a particular time period's music before you started composing a soundtrack for it to try to give it more of an authentic feel? Um, other than that, I'd, I'd watch, I'd usually just watch sort of movies that were based around that time period or something and, and take it from there, but not, not really going and, and finding the real authentic music from that Period. This is a. I think this this game's set in some like a medieval time, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'd be. I'd, I used to watch a lot of movies that were just action movies and things that were based around that. And maybe I'd probably just take my ideas from there. Yeah. So stuff. more of a like the cinematic angle than the than a historical angle. Stuff like Excalibur. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Very very cool. Well, that was the uh, last traditional pick that we had for the show. We're gonna move into talking about Matt's new game coming out, which is Fear Effect. Sedna, which kind of marks his return to video game music composition after taking some time away. And so, Matt, you did an interview with the uh, Mercado Brothers uh, video game music podcast back in, like, I think it was August of 2015. And they asked you at the end of the show if you ever saw yourself returning to video game music composition again. And your answer was a pretty solid no, that you didn't ever see it happening. So um, I'm wondering, what was it about Fear Effect Sedna that convinced you to return back to to music composition uh well this one i mean i i remember this game this was one of the last games the original fear effect that i that i did um which was back in maybe 2000 year 2000 so this is hmm. you know almost what 17 years ago now and uh, hmm. i was always pretty proud of the music i thought it i thought it was a really good game and it had really interesting graphics cool graphics and a, a great story and i i thought i i did a, a pretty decent job of the music and um, the uh, developer, I think it, they, they just sort of got in touch with me and said, uh, you know, we've got this Kickstarter going and would you be interested in, in maybe working on just one song? Because I, I always imagine, well, if I'm going to get back to video game music, I, I really don't have the, the time to, to be doing, you know, like a full soundtrack because it, it's going to take, you know, it takes months and months of full time, you know, it's a full time gig and you've got to do it for, for months and, you know, I have a lot of other commitments. So... Um, in this this case, it was good because they said, "Look, you can just do the tile music if you want, you know, and, and do do whatever you want." We, you know, they just trusted me to to really uh, write a piece of music that would fit the game, and uh, they said, "Do it how you feel. We we trust that you're going to do do it, make it sound good." So I said, "Yeah, fine. You know, let's do it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> why not?" And I, I did have a little time um, to do it, and I'd I'd been sort of tinkering around playing on uh, Logic Pro, which is the the audio package for the Mac, and you know playing around with that a little bit at home, and just you know playing my guitars and you know things like that. So I was like, why not? You know, it just, uh, I could do this. So uh, uh, just took it from there and uh, wrote a piece of music. So yeah, four, very cool. That's really four cool. Minutes of music, title music uh, for the game, and I got to play some some new instruments that I recently got. I I bought this um, kind of cool electric ukulele. 
for Christmas, which I got from Walmart of all places, and it, like it's an ukulele, and it looks like a little miniature like Gibson Les Paul, and it's actually a really cool little instrument, and um, it sounds good, and I, I managed to use it on this track, and I used, you know, I used my bass and my guitars and stuff like that, so it was, it was kind of fun just to, to get out the uh, get out the instruments and the, the audio workstation, just uh, just put some ideas down, yeah. Awesome. So let's take a listen to this title theme from Fear Effect Sedna, courtesy of Matt Furness and Walmart. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, welcome back. That was Fear Effect Sedna, and that is an upcoming game that will be released in 2017, and that was the title theme by Matt Furness. Yes, this was amazing. Yeah. I really enjoyed the those bass stabs. I got I got a very like kind of Vangelis, like kind of a, a Blade Runner yeah. feel. Is that kind of a, that sound what you were going for with this, Matt? Yeah, I was I definitely, yeah, sort of like a Van Kelly, so like, hey, uh, I don't know, like the music you'd find in, a, in an old sort of sci-fi 80s hmm. movie or something, and I, and I think I just finished watching Stranger Things on Netflix, and ah. I was thinking I'll go with something like that a little bit, and I had all these sort of ideas floating around in my head of things I wanted to do, so... Uh, I just try to sort of bring out those ideas and, and put them all in one one piece here, and then you know bring in some guitars and different different things like that. But also you know go with those analog synthesizers and just I don't know see what see what came out. But it, it came out pretty close to what I was sort of imagining in my head when I was trying to really think of this song. Yeah, it's got a nice blend of new and old because as you said, it's got those analog synths, but it also has that man uh, what was it like a mandolin or like ukulele. a ukulele and that yeah. I, I really love the panning effects uh going back and forth on that uh when you're listening to it on headphones that was really cool yeah so i wanted something a little i wanted to have a little hint of a, a, a little bit of an asian sound in there but not nearly as heavy as it went on the first fear effect right so just just capture just a little bit of that influence there but then like i say go with more like you know, something like a John Carpenter soundtrack a little bit at the beginning and, and then see how it goes from there, you know? Right, right. For sure, yeah, very yeah. very cinematic and then it gets, you know, a little more action, almost a little more video gamey, I guess, towards the end there when those those drums kind of pick up. Mm-hmm. So you said, Matt, that this particular track will play during the, like, the title screen and then the, the menu theme as well? That's that's what I've seen, yeah. So when you, you put the game and then it, uh, you've got the, the title screen and the menus and while you're kind of picking your options and all that kind of stuff, that's when I've heard it played on the on the alpha version. I don't know if they'll change that for the release, but uh, we'll see. So this is actually the third official Fear Effect game that's coming out. Uh, the first two came out on the PlayStation 1, and there was a third one that was being worked on on the PlayStation 2 called Fear Effect Inferno. Uh, which unfortunately got uh, canceled in 2003. There's not a lot of information as to why it got canceled, but uh, and I know you, we were talking during the break. You didn't do the the second game soundtrack. Uh, did they ever approach you at any point in time to do Fear Effect Inferno? No, no, not at all. No, I no. never heard anything other you know, since I finished the first one. That was the last I'd, I'd heard of the project. Yeah. Because your soundtrack kind of on the first game kind of set the tone. It had that kind of Blade Runner kind of sound to it, The as you said, the 80s vibe to it, but also had a very like Chinese, Japanese kind of uh, uh, Asian uh, flair to it. Was that something that you wanted to continue if, if let's say, for example, uh, with Sedna, if you did do the full soundtrack, like would, would your idea of the soundtrack match what you were doing with this first track? I think so, yeah. I mean, the, the location is different. The first game is, is set in Asia, it's set in Hong, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the a lot of that sort of Chinese flavor and the Chinese instrumentation comes from on the first soundtrack. This this game's set, what it, I think it looks like uh, some kind of like an Arctic research facility or something. Mm-hmm. So it's a little, a little different. I just wanted to keep a little bit of that Asian flavor just from the first game across the, the, the lead character. Um, is the the Asian girl Hannah in this Hannah, game right. still? So we keep. I want to keep a little bit of that, but then just go in a different direction for this because it's it's a new game. It's a it's a it's quite a different type of game as well how it plays. So I didn't want to mm-hmm. I didn't want to just hark back to the past and, and re, rehash that. I wanted to go 
in a new direction and they they liked it you know the uh, the developer they said they really liked it what i did here and they they wanted to keep it so that was all good it fits really well with the pitch for sedna i was watching as the song was playing uh, i wanted to get a visual matchup so i put on uh the kickstarter uh, the little trailer, trailer yeah. that sushi put together and i was watching that and i was amazed at how well it fit with the game's visuals you know it's very like cold sounding at first and and the whole thing takes place at least in the part where they were showing you in the beginning in like a wintry kind of like a you know you're invading a like a base sort of thing and so the whole thing's taking place in winter everyone's bundled up it's very cold and desolate sounding yeah uh, and it kind of matches uh, the visual aspect for that. Uh, did you know ahead of time what type of visual style that they were going to have for the game as far as that cold, kind of bleak atmosphere? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they sent me some clips from the game and some some movie files and different things. So I, I knew the, I knew what the visuals were were going to look like. So I could mm -hmm. I could base base my music around what I could see there, around what bits of the story that I, I knew as well. Cool. Well, as a Kickstarter backer, I gotta say I'm I'm really excited for Sedna, especially the fact that you're doing the title track. I hope that the rest of the soundtrack is as good as this title track, because it's really I mean right out the gate, it's it's phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, so, so game should be coming out this year, and I'm I'm interested to see the the rest of the game too. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. You know, I was reminded of the um, the Metroid theme on yeah. the original NES, where it mm -hmm. starts off. You get those those same kind of bass stabs, yeah, and then it kind of builds up, and then you get that more of like a heroic, mm -hmm. action oriented sound towards the end. So yeah, yeah I I don't know if that was intentional, Matt, but that kind of like mm. almost kind of fit together as counterparts. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. And I'd been playing. There was a it's not like a Metroid remake I'd got for the PS recently i can't remember then what was the name oh, action verge action verge i'd been playing that a little bit so i think that maybe maybe some of some of the influence as well yeah kind of rubbed off That's on you the a, right way got a right. Great, yeah that game's got a great soundtrack yeah, yeah fantastic definitely. yeah we've played some tracks from that on our show too before so well that pretty much wraps it up as far as game talk goes well mike you had one more question i had one more question <laughs> uh so for Fear Effect, it's an established video game franchise that you compose for. Uh, do you have any other video game franchises that you would love to compose for? Like, it doesn't have to be something that's that's current, you know, like anything. Castlevania, Metroid, uh, Mega Man, you know, anything that's alive or dead that is a, a well-established video game franchise. Do you have, like, a dream project uh, that you would ever compose for? I'd love to do something for a Grand Theft Auto game. That'd be great. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That was okay. that was one of my favorite games over the last probably a decade. Was the uh, the, the latest Grand Theft Auto was just a phenomenal game. And I know most of the music is is licensed, but even the the, the original music that they put in those games is mm -hmm. is great. I'd love to work on one of those. Yeah. All right. That'd be really cool. I'm a big fan of that I'm too. I'm gonna go bang on Rockstar Games' door. Yeah, <laughs> Get a petition going. Yeah. Um, um, actually, no. The one one other question that I did have was um you know as far as um chip-based music versus the more freedom that you have with like Redbook Audio and such on PlayStation and, and of course like Fear Effect Sedna. You know, I know uh, we've talked to a lot of classic composers who kind of almost revel in the fact that they have more limitations when they're working with chip music versus the more modern style of music. Which which would you prefer composing in? Uh, well, back in the day, I looked, I mean, I like doing the chip-based stuff. Just like you said, when you've got limitations, it's, it's almost more creative. Hmm. And it's more of a 
a technical challenge because you know everybody else that you're competing against has got those same limitations. So you're trying to make the best music and you're you're trying to show off a little bit and you're trying to say, look how you know I can do this technically. <laughs> you know, I know I've I found a new trick or some new technique or something. And can you know everybody everyone else out there has got the same restraints. But then, you know, with the things like this new fear effect music, I think you you know, you're creative you can be also more creative when you don't have the restraints. I know back in the day, I didn't, I didn't used to. I only used to play piano and, and keyboards and, and that sort of thing. And then over the last sort of 10, 15 years, I've, I played a lot more guitar and things like that. So I found that just being able to, you know, play those other instruments has enabled me to be a little more creative and find new new ways to write. Like this uh, Fear Effect music, would I don't think I could have written this this piece, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Were there any other contemporaries? I know you mentioned Yuzo Koshiro and then the Streets of Rage soundtrack, but were there any other, you know, games or, or uh, particular composers back in the day that you would kind of, um, you know, a game would come out and you'd listen to the soundtrack and be like, no, I've got to beat this one. Like, you, you felt like you were kind of in competition? Not so much in competition. I mean, my favorite composer back in the day was always Tim Fallon. Oh, yeah. And uh, I speaking even, my language. I mean, I couldn't even really compete because he's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's so incredible. He's such a such an amazing composer, and his work was so different um, and so so good that I, I couldn't even compete with it. It was just inspirational mm-hmm. to me. Um, and of course, then you know the, the the composer I grew up listening to when I was younger, which would be like Rob Hubbard, Martin Galway. And mm-hmm, they were right. just, it wasn't so much can I compete with this? I never thought I could. It was just they were just inspiring to me. And then same again with you know Yuzo Koshiro. I don't think I could compete with that. It's just an inspiration, you know. Seems to definitely be. Now I know you're you're from the UK, right? Originally. That's right. Yeah. I've, right. I've, I was born in the UK, and I, I've been uh, I've been now in the, the United States for, for 21 years. Yeah. Right, you're living in like the West Coast, like California, right? Yeah, in, okay. Yeah, down in uh, down in Lisa Viejo, about halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The re- reason why I was asking is because it, it's it's interesting because your influences uh, or your you know uh, game composers that you were also a fan of, like the, the Yuzo Koshiro's and you know the Tim Fallons, particularly with the more European composers you know that was kind of your area that was your local area so you were playing a lot of games that they were composing for because that scene was mostly like uh, the computers like the Commodore 64 the Amiga etc uh, yeah. the Amstrad this you know CPC all that type of stuff mm-hmm. but the Sega Genesis or the Mega Drive was so huge in the UK and mm-hmm. the you know, for us like growing up, uh, the NES was like top notch. I mean, you just <laughs> couldn't beat it. There's just such a big big difference between the history. So, uh, you, you know, while you were playing like um, Streets of Rage, you know, with the uh, Yuzo Koshiro and like the Tim Fallon uh, type games, like uh, Jeff Fallon, like Plock, like that type of stuff, we were kind of you know, hanging out playing like NES games like uh, Mario 3 and, you know, some of the other games. The influences are very different. Yeah, Yeah, I think I see a lot of the U.S. uh, like demo sceners and stuff kind of gravitating more towards like the Game Boy and the Mm -hmm. NES. Whereas like the European sceners are still gravitating towards, they make Commodore 64 music and Amiga music and Mm -hmm. stuff. So did you ever release anything in the the so-called scene as as it were matter? Were you just kind of specifically just video game music? I did do a little music for some uh, a demo group at the time. They're called Magnetic Fields, who were a, um, a, a demo group that based around the Sheffield area where I was from in north of England. And a couple of demo discs we put out called Sound Attacks One and Sound Attacks Two, 
that came out. I think they came out in like 1988, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, from that, though, I, I just, you know, I sent those demos out to, to, I just sent them all around the UK trying to get a job doing doing video game music. And like, luckily, there was just that one place that was close to where I lived that said, yeah, we'll give you a try. So mm-hmm. that's um, awesome. after that, I, I was able to, you know, make, make a job out of it. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we want to wrap it up, Matt. We really want to thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we also want to thank Sushi for letting us use Match Track on uh, Fear Effects Sedna. So uh, very much looking forward to that. And that's about it. Yeah, so- Matt, do you have any other projects coming up that you'd like to talk about? There is one that I, I've been involved with just uh, in a very small way called Project Sidology, which you can find on Kickstarter. And this is a, a series of uh, albums um, mostly composed by Marcel Dana, who, who did who's done this work in the past. And it's a lot of old... Um, like Commodore 64 music remade to sound like it was done by Jean-Michel Jarre, who was a big synthesizer composer in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I'm sure a lot of people heard of him. Um, but I did do a couple of tracks uh, for that one, which was uh, based on a, a Martin Galway track and another one which was based on a David Whitaker track. Um, so if anybody's interested, they can look for Project Sidology on uh, Kickstarter and uh, maybe find that. And that'll be coming out, I think, this year. Uh, scheduled to, to have all the albums finished and it's going to come out in vinyl and special editions and all kinds of stuff so it's pretty it's pretty fun yeah very cool yeah we'll definitely put that in the show notes so you guys can check it out that also yeah. kind of uh, links in with my other podcast the impulse project where we play music from the demo scene and you know the amiga and the c64 and, and that so maybe i'll i'll throw up a link in our our impulse project group as well so Mike, where can we find us? Well, we can find us at pixeltunesradio.com. Check us out there, as well as on iTunes. If you like this episode, give us a rating. Give us a review, a short little review. Let us know how we're doing. Yeah, give us a a review hug. (laughs) (laughs) Not a stab. No, please, no No. stabs. (laughs) Uh, And then you can also check us out on Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com slash groups slash Pixel Tunes Radio on Twitter at Pixel Tunes Radio at Instagram at Pixel Tunes Radio. Uh, you can also check us out by knocking on Mike's front door and yeah. just saying what's up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or youtube.com forward slash dongled, which is where you can watch all the Pixel Tunes Radio video listen things that I create. Yes. V- video listen things. Video That's, versions of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I like video listen things. You're, you're better. bad at wording today. Just no, so I d- well, listen. When you're, when you're talking to Matt, Matt Furness, you, you kind of can't. Can't word very you well. Can't, I can't word. <laughs> I just can't even. And we've also got our Pixel Tunes Plays series, which we've kind of been ramping up lately mm-hmm. as well, where uh, Mike and I sit down and, and play some cool video games, kind of talk about the games, and we just released a Double Dragon 4 yep. Pixel Tunes Plays, and then we've got... Um, we've got more on the way. Yeah, Ninja Turtles Hyperstone Heist, which will probably be out by the time this show is released. Most likely. If, if yeah. not, it'll be very soon. Yep. Uh, and then we got some more ideas in the works for that stuff, too. So we'd love to hear your suggestions for games we can play. Um, and you guys can eat popcorn and watch us play video games. Yeah. Shoot us an email at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com. Once again, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. We had a blast talking to you. We learned a whole bunch about your career and just about, you know, the hardware and the and the technology in general. So thank you for that. Yes, well, thanks, thank Mike. You. Thanks, Ed. And thanks for having me on the show. It was, re- it was really fun. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, guys. We will see you next time with a C- Secret theme for our next show. All right. All right. Bye. Peace out.